Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 233. Before we get into this week's episode with Malik Gale, uh, just need to remind you guys, the teddy bear toss, if you're planning on going on Saturday, guess what? Sold out. No way to get tickets anymore unless you go to the Utica Teddy Bear Toss dot com and type in Uticast in the search bar. You can get two free tickets uh, to the Teddy Bear Toss this Saturday. Don't delay. Tickets are sold out now. This is your last chance, folks. Uh, also this week, episode 233, we are joined by Malik Gale for an overdue discussion about the greatest pop punk bands of all time. Uh, also this week, Kevin is here. We're going to talk about the Irishman. We're going to talk about history lessons. We're going to talk about bananas that cost $120,000. All sorts of wild stuff. Uh, all this and more, folks. As always, we are happy to have you here on the Unicast. Is that still a thing? I, people don't really do catalogs. Catalogs aren't Expensive. the same way as they used to be. It's it's like insane. Printing it, prices are insane, and then distribute them not worth it. We might have talked about it in the pod not too long ago. Uh, I know I definitely talked about it to my kids in school recently. Do you sure. Remember the J.C. Penney's like wish books? You know what I'm talking about? Um, they were like they were basically the entire. It was basically the entire catalog of what J.C. Penney had to sell, sell, and they would send it to your house, and you would go through it with your whole family. Just the big catalog. It was a giant catalog, toys. Yeah, yeah, toys. I, I remember Amazing. the big catalog. I didn't yeah. know it had a name, but yeah, the big catalog. Yeah, those from are J.C. Penney. Those are pretty good. I see a lot of people going through those on uh, on like YouTube and stuff. Oh now. my God, what a world! <laughs> oh, you go on YouTube. Imagine people need to be stopped. <laughs> we, we've got to draw the line somewhere, guys. Uh, <laughs> no, it's true. I. Uh, I think about it now. I watch so much video game content on the internet that I feel like it. That's true. Uh, it quells my actual video game playing. I don't even need to. Play, I don't even need to play games anymore. So it's like, like these little kids who don't even want presents. They just want to watch people. Open. You're presents. just watching other people do stuff on YouTube all day. I haven't gotten slippery slope, my friend. I haven't gotten that far yet. I still like presents, like terrestrial presents that yeah, I can I, open I in I my hands. I do like presents. Yeah, um, with that. Send any presents you want to the studio. Yes, please. Uh, it is. What is it today? Today's the uh, the ninth, the tenth. Sure. We are 15 days away. 14 shopping days. It's coming. Uh, my stuff's been coming in the mail uh, at a regular clip, although I feel more and more guilty every time I order something on Amazon, reading everything I know about all the terrible stuff that these employees go through now. Pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty bad, yeah. But man, I need those Funko Pops for my niece and nephew. Gotcha. Well, you're buying people Funko Pops? Do they want those? My niece and nephew like them. My niece huh. specifically requested two of them. That I have already. They're pretty good. Are you allowed to talk about what they are on the show? I mean, I can't imagine my niece listens to this. She's 13. She probably doesn't care. Sure. Right? Uh, one of them is a Stranger Things character. Which one? Steve. Okay. She's She has a crush on yeah, yeah. Joe Keery. I think I've talked about it. It's her first real crush. Okay. So she'll just go and she'll be like, hi, I like Steve. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't like Steve, but I'm talking about a different Steve. There you go. Um, and then she really likes Queen, suddenly. Yeah, yeah, the like, Queen, uh, Queen movie was big for the kids. Queen, Queen is coming big. around in a big it's way back. with the youth. It's funny, Queen too, is very large with the youth. She's, she came up to me last week, and she was asking me, she's like, hey, do you like Queen? Like, really like, you really wanted to know how I felt about Queen. Right. And, of course, me being me, I couldn't just say, of course I like Queen. I was like, well, that's a nuanced question. They got some songs I like. <laughs> but I don't... <laughs> 
Let me tell you something, kid. Let me tell you something, kid. Uh, news of the world, yes, but everything after that, they got a little weird. No, um, I'm glad that my niece is into some classical rock band. This is the second one of my nieces and nephews who's fallen in with a classic rock band. I have to imagine that, well, because they've, I mean, they got to get into something. You know what I mean? Like, it's just what's yeah. out there. Um, I gotta imagine it's nice to have a common ground where you're like, okay, Queen. I know about Queen. I can talk to you about Queen. Like, it's nice to have something where you can sort of meet somebody in the middle with There's, these kids. That's all you can ask for. I've gotten weird bands that my nieces and nephews have been into over the years. Queen is one. That's not weird, I guess. It's just kind of No, yeah, Queen's pretty mainstream. Um, my nephew on the other side likes Pink Floyd, which is an interesting conversation. Which is funny because when you were saying Queen, I would say those are the two bands that are coming up big with the kids right Floyd? now. Pink Why Floyd? Why Floyd? Because, like, hippies and everything's tie-dye and it's like, you know, all that, like, space, computers, time. Mm. It's, pretty, it's timeless music. Why did we like Pink Floyd when we were kids? Same reasons. That's because true. Kids, you want to know why? Because kids are still smoking weed. That seems to be the That's case. why kids are still listening to Pink Floyd, if you want to call it Spade. Let me tell you about the Wizard of Oz, kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um... No, but it's funny to me though that like what kids will latch on. I always think about I think about that a lot with bands and like you know because I've got you know my young niece now she's obviously you know too young for any kind of music but Mm -hmm. I I was thinking about that I'm like you know what kind of bands is she gonna get into and come to me and be like oh this band and it makes me think about how obnoxious we must have been as kids like talking to my dad about like oh this music ever heard of it and like we were totally those kids when we were little you know what I mean like dad I just discovered this crazy band he's like yeah I just I I know that band everybody knows that band well we talked a lot about music on this week's uh, interview with Malik Gale uh, Mm -hmm. who well I'll get into the details about that when we get closer but we had a great time talking to Malik always a good time talking to Malik it's nice when you get other broadcasters on the show because everybody is uh everybody's just working it's nice it just flows Uh, real smooth but one of the things we talked about in the interview was green day is a prominent point of discussion in this Mm. pop punk interview like and i remember like the weird juxtaposition of me being into green day at an age when my stepdad was like playing the beatles and like classic rock around the house Mm -hmm. and us sort of having that young and old debate about no this music is whack check out this music and he's like no and now i'm on the other side of that fence like these kids will show me something that they're listening to i'm like no (laughs) <laughs> no, let me tell you about Steely Dan. Um, no. Oh my uh, god! No, but it's funny because the first band that any of my nieces and nephews ever got into was They Might Be Giants. My one nephew Oliver got into They Might Be Giants, which is about as far left field as you could get. I thought that for like a band that a little kid comes upon. A lot of their music is very kid friendly, though. Yeah, it's got all those like Particle Man and all these like weird sort of. Sure, goofy, sure. They're almost sing songy. They almost sound like Sesame Street songs sometimes. That's those, true. Those they might be giant songs. So in hindsight, I'm not as thrown off by it as I would have mm-hmm. been. Uh, welcome back to the show, folks. By the way, it's five minutes in. It's uh, it's the five and a half. Let's go. Five and a half. Don't even. It's, they uh, wouldn't notice if you didn't they tell. They wouldn't them. notice. Well, I got to give them the in. number. Uh, it's the it's the Udicast episode two thirty three. Uh, as I mentioned, Malik Gale of the Against the Algorithm podcast uh, is back. Um, he just finished his second season. He might have one more episode. He told me last mm. night he's not sure. Podcasting season. Podcasting. I know. What a what a it's what interesting. Idea. Interesting. Well, it's a different. It's a different take. It's something that we'll get into at some point in time, sooner than later, because uh, there's a couple things I've been thinking about in terms of the future of the podcast. Oh, yeah. look at that! But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, anyhow, Malik came in uh, basically because we got in a funny conversation on Twitter uh-huh. about a list about the 100 greatest pop punk bands of all time. Now, I know that this isn't a, a touchstone piece for everybody who no, everybody's to heard this, of these bands. No, I forget that everybody listens to the bands. This the um, but we had a really nice, you know, I was surprised how many people were interacting on Twitter and people were getting back and forth on it. So I thought it would be fun to actually have him come on. And we did break down. The entire list. The all 100 bands. However, <laughs> we did lose one half of the episode. We lost 
at uh, numbers 100 through 48 through a technical error. You know what? That's a lot better. Could you imagine if you only had kept the back half? So to listen to you two dissect like 100 <laughs> through like 47. Yeah, yeah. And so there's all these weird like obscure bands. You don't talk about any of like the big most mainstream bands. Um, well, so. I listened to some of the interview though. You guys moved through it pretty quick. Like for we, what it is. For it being a long list. We tried to. And the initial plan actually was to break down 100 through 50. And then 49 through 1 and do it over two weeks. That was my plan. Was to secretly save myself two weeks of interviews. I was going to break it apart. First two weeks. Sure. Um, but. Uh, we only saved, we only got the second half, so it doesn't make sense for us to go back and do 100 to 49 next week. What's no. the point? <laughs> no Silly. one cares. Silly, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to Malik for actually spending two full hours here to record that podcast. Malik is the best, one of the most gracious people I've ever met. There were a few bands that were on the list that we didn't get to talk about again, and I'm just going to throw them at you because I'm sure you have some opinions. Uh, Lit was on the list at number 97, <laughs> the band Lit. Lit. Good for them. Uh, I said that the song "My Own Worst Enemy" is probably better than a lot of any other songs by a lot of these bands in this list. Like that one single song, is strong song. Just... Everybody remembers that song. I remember uh, on their album they had a song called "Ziploc Bag" that I enjoyed. Ziploc. It was kind of silly, but it was a really good song <laughs> yes. as well. That whole album was kind of silly, but full of pretty good songs. Yeah, they were. It was a weird time. They were like before, like they were wearing like bowling shirts and kind of like rockabilly yeah. style dudes. It was early. Yeah, it was a weird style. Uh, we also talked about Sum 41. We never came back around to that. Sum so. 41, better than you remember. Yeah. If you're into like guitar playing and shredding a little bit, there's there's some stuff there for you. And then uh, All American Rejects, we also talked about and uh, didn't get back to. On the One of the first 40. bands to try to to just reach high and be like, we're going to be like a pop band, but still keep our instruments, sort of. Progenitor, some other bands that went and did it after them. We'll, uh, we'll first talk- album's still pretty good. It was self-produced, and yeah. it had some really interesting noises and uses of like... Organs, keyboards, and samplings that was kind of ahead of its time for that genre. Swing Swing, one of the hardest cover songs I've ever played. Really? The, the vocals. I thought that was, oh, that was super, he does have a super high-pitched voice, and you're not necessarily nope. a high-pitched vocal nope. singer. Uh, we'll come back to the punk rock thing after the interview, because I have a quick question to ask you afterwards, and we'll, we'll spend some time on it there. Sure. Uh, but, as I'm sitting here doing this interview, I'm getting a phone call, uh-huh. as you can see. Two phone calls, and these are from... Health insurance solicitors who were calling me because I attempted to get health insurance today, and now I'm getting nonstop calls from people. It's outrageous. Yeah. So yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens. You're just trying to transfer over, figure out you know where to go, and now you've got 700 robots willing to help you. The reason I called in the first place was to see if I actually still had an account from back in the day. Like, do I need to start a new account, or can I just reactivate my old account? Sure. It took me far longer than necessary to get that simple question answered. Yeah. Turns out, yeah. no, I don't. They I don't, don't want to pay. They just want to discourage you. <laughs> uh, we're about nine minutes in. Uh, the interview with Malik is very long. So I do have a couple new... You cut me off? No. Just, of course not. Just joking. Hey, so you got whoa, hot whoa. takes on... I'm sorry, never mind. Well, no, no, no. I just... Um, there are some things I did want to talk about this week, and one is an outrageous art story. Have you? Are you familiar with this uh, story about the banana that went for sale in the art oh, show this week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for folks of you who are not... Uh, there's a good article on GQ about this. Uh, there was an art show in Miami called the Art Basel Art Show. And one of the art installations was a banana stuck to a wall with a piece of duct tape. Yes. <laughs> this uh, this piece of art went on to go for sale for $120,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... One of the guys, a performance artist from New York, ran over to the wall and ate the banana. So he uh-huh. ate the $120,000 banana. So this has been a wild story that's been going around. A uh, couple things to note. This is not the only banana. There are three of the same banana sculptures that cost between one hundred and twenty dollars and $150,000 each. So uh-huh. wild. 
But one of the things I thought was crazy was that they talked to the museum guy uh, at the gallery, and he said that even though the performance artist ate the banana, he didn't actually destroy the artwork because, quote, the banana is the idea. <laughs> Since the banana was visibly ripe and never meant to last, the work comes with a certificate of authenticity. The certificate is actually what people pay for. No. So, so no. Henry, this is a $120,000 idea. That's all bullshit. Every single little bit of that. You know what that tells you? That tells you that the disparity of equality of wealth in this country is so out of control that people paying $150,000 for a banana on the wall. Uh, Nobody should be able to. What a world. All these people are the worst. I'm done with all those guys. And, like, I get it as a whole highbrow concept, but, like, I don't need it. Uh, I, don't, I don't need it. You know what I mean? Good for you guys for being nuts, I guess. I don't know. You know what? Here's the thing. I went into an art museum recently. I went to the Munster Williams Proctor Art Institute. You know what was in there? Lots of paintings. True. Lots of paintings, oil, canvas, Facts. imagination, quality art. I would have paid $120,000 for those if I had it. Mm -hmm. I, I just, this is the wildest story. It's, this, is, this is one of the wildest stories I've ever heard, I would it, say. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm blown away. I don't, are you? <laughs> Kinda. Uh, this is just $120,000 for a yeah. duct tape banana. No, I, the I idea of a duct tape banana. I, it's just, it's <laughs> foolish. Uh, let's move on. Uh, I heard this is from Vox today. Uh, I've been sort of trying to steer away from Vox articles because they tend to be very politically based, but this is actually about uh, drinking, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, it's talking about how in 2019 we've seen a dramatic shift in the way that Americans consume alcohol. Yes. Uh, a lot of it seems to have to do with wellness culture and the actual drinks that are going around is what they're sort of arguing. Uh, have you sort of noticed this at all in your experiences being out and about in the world? Do you think people are drinking less? Um, less and or differently. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the, the story. Yeah, I would say so. It seems like there's a lot more low ABV drinks coming out. You're seeing a lot more, again, the hard seltzer thing really. Yeah, like, hard seltzer, it's, it's tough to, I mean, we'll see. Anytime you see a trend in the beverage industry come up so quickly, mm -hmm. there's always that kind of wait and see attitude to see if it can sustain. Because, I mean, we've seen a lot of different beverages come up really, really quickly and gain popularity. Um, but they don't really have the staying power. Like, you look at them, you know, five years later, nobody's really buying them anymore. Mm. So we have to wait and see. It'll remain to be proven whether or not, you know, somebody like White Claw has that staying power, but it's a really strong mm. position they've got themselves into, and it seems like it's only primed to grow. So I'm really interested to see what happens with them and brands like them. One of the things I thought was really interesting uh, is sort of the way that alcohol is marketed now. If you yeah. look at a lot of commercials, it's very different. Alcohol in this sort of current culture is less about, like, how many drinks can I have to, you know, tie one on, you tend to see these commercials more like, oh, we're going to drink while we're kayaking or out some sort of, doing it as in mm -hmm. uh, in conjunction with some sort of outdoor event or right. at leisure Which, activity. to be fair, is a huge contingent of people I know. Like, you know, of mm -hmm. course, living around here, we live so close to the Adirondacks outdoors, we know tons of people who love to get out in the wilderness and then, like, you know, have some craft beers or like some nice, like, reasonable beers while they're out there. The argument, I think, was before this, we had gotten into either, like, a really heavy, like, craft beer world, where everything was really, like, intense, just tons and tons that of were, I mean, beer. that world is still there. Yeah. Those people were never the, the mainstream, like, beer drinker type commercials. But it's gotten less cool to market um, revolving around, like, partying and being out and that yes. kind of thing. It's just become less cool in the culture and not as reasonable of a way to kind of reach the people yeah it says it also talks about the rise of sober culture as one of the things the idea of like sure. wellness culture and sobriety being sort of quote unquote 
cooler now than they were 20 years ago, 10 sure. years ago. I mean, I could see that. Or people a, just being more comfortable to make the choice not to yeah. indulge. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, you know, it's true, though. I, I noticed, though, even just in general when I go out to bars now, like, even last time I was at, like, Mayo Creek, a lot more fruit-based beers, a lot more of the gozes, a lot more of these, like, beers that, That's that all take, craft. But a lot more beers that taste less like beer and more like juices or ciders. We've sort of moved into like it feels like I see a lot more of that around and a lot more accessible than it was in the last five years. Hmm. At least in my opinion. I'm not really a huge drinker, so yeah. that's just what I see when I walk into a bar mm-hmm. here and there. Definitely craft has moved more in the direction of like trying different fruits and get more comfortable stuff like that. I mean when you go out, like definitely sometimes I play at bars with young people who are just crushing like beers and shots yeah yeah people are still cranking their you know their bud lights their miller lights their whatever all that stuff mm-hmm. that stuff's still going over you know just about as quickly but it's crazy how many of specifically the white claw cans you see everywhere what's your favorite beer shot combo if you're going to the bar and you're getting a beer and a shot um i mean traditionally it's, it's got to be a jameson and uc that's mm, just smart. it's what you do you know <laughs> Dude, i'm from i'm from where i'm from i am who i am <laughs> It's probably a Jameson and a UC. I think there's a lot of different different combos, though. It depends on the mood. Um, this is actually the time of year where I get a little bit more excited about a glass of scotch or a glass of whiskey. This sort of wintry time of year. It's nice to have. It's nice and toasty. Like, when yeah. it gets cold outside, kind of overcast, yeah. It's not good beer weather when it's, like, 10 degrees out, 13 degrees mm, out. I don't want to... False. You could be crushing stouts. Yeah. You love a stout. It'd be like it's nice stout. to be in a nice warm pub with a stout. My thought about comfy sitting, chair. I'm just thinking about sitting on the front porch cranking six cans of UC in the cold. Like, ah, what a day. A brisk afternoon. Why would you be on the <laughs> I'm porch? Just thinking, I don't know what <laughs> Why would you uh, be outside doing that? Uh, let's, uh, That's let's, indoor stuff. No, where, I know. where are you going? No, I know. Uh, all right. One more, uh, one more news story this week, and then we'll get to this week's uh, interview. It is our first. Fond farewell, question mark of the year for a candidate of real merit. Uh, Kamala Harris said this week that she had to make one of the hardest decisions of her life uh, <laughs> by ending her once promising campaign uh, and decided that she will no longer uh, continue to run for president. Basically citing that they kind of ran out of money, <laughs> seems to be. Yeah, yeah they weren't. They've been done. I am not surprised that mm. she is not in the final four or five or anything like that. Final four or five is too much. That's not even a real thing. You see people drop out. It just seems weird. She seemed like a more viable candidate than a lot of the people who are still lurking on the on the fringes of this race. Well, those people, no, because that's different, because those people are out but don't, like, haven't admitted that they're out yet or sure. don't know that they're out. Right. I, yeah, the fact that Tom Steyer's still there and she's not she, yeah, she didn't get, She didn't get outlasted by Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar's just kind of an idiot. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she's been out. She just refuses to, like, say that she's out. Yeah, that's true. Uh... This one felt, for some reason, like it was one of the, the more popular candidates, the first of the popular, quote-unquote, candidates to take a dive, like the real heavy name recognition candidates. I think people knew who she was. And she had that big moment in the first debate that sure. sort of got her a lot of uh, press. I'm not, like, I'm not distraught that she's out. I didn't think she had... No, she wasn't getting she, my vote. No, she wasn't getting my vote either. Oh. And she also sort of, she peaked very early in the debate cycle and never really... If it was a peak, too, it's all like the the breathless ESPN narrative that gets sold to us. Like, they've got to have these rise and falls of every single candidate through the primary. But, like, when you cut through it and look at, like, the actual picture, that was never really, like, a very serious candidate. And you see it happen every year, like, in both years when Obama was running for election and re-election, the GOP primary was the same thing. There's all these people that are, like, a joke, but they'll have four weeks so they can get the clicks of being, like, could Rick Santorum do it? No, of course not. Same thing as Kamala Harris. Like, this person wasn't going to win. But, you know... 
They're making money on the campaign trail. So she was never really going to win. I don't think so. That she's probably either looking to you know keep her name out there, get a position, AG, maybe a vice president thing. I would love to see her as the attorney general. Mm. I think she would be ruthless, and it would be amazing. But humor me for a second. Was there any moment where she sort of lost it? Was there any chance? Was there any moment where there was a chance for her at all at the start? Probably not. I mean, you would you would just need people who you would need other people to completely implode. A couple times on stage, I noticed her sort of trying to be casual. And it was not playing well. Like, she was sort of, like, doing the... the yeah, and, that, and that's the whole... Like, you can't just go out there and have a moment on, like, you know, the pony shows when they give you 90 yeah. seconds of talk. That's not enough for a candidate to kind of get their hooks in and establish real footing. You know what I mean? That's not Correct. enough. That's enough to get tons of, like, articles and twee blogs written about you, but that's not a way to actual, like, yeah. get a foothold in the larger cultural conversation with the rest of the people that vote and, you know, consume and live in this country. I, I do, uh, I will say, uh, she's gone, uh, you know, farewell to Kamala. Yeah, happy trails. Happy trails, good luck. Good for you, hope to see more in the future, too. Like, it's yeah. not a, that's another thing, too, that I think is, mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, the different primary and talking about stuff like this, you know, people, people lose and that happens. You still like the people, you hope to see the people stay in, you know what I mean? Like, she's been excellent in the center, I've seen her a lot of different hearings, holding people's feet to the fire, that's why I think she'd make a good attorney general, but I'll say I'm not surprised to see this one go. Um, no, I'm not either. Uh, I did like her dunking on Trump on the way out with her see you at your trial. She's great at that. Great <laughs> at that kind of thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll give her that. That was a nice way to go out. That's where you need her. <laughs> you need these people doing lifting in the Senate. Uh, the one thing I'll say, I'll say one last thing about her before we go out. Okay. I will say more than... She's oh, a cop? Well, that too. Uh, more more than most of the other candidates, she mm-hmm. did have a certain, I don't know if it was her voice or her timber, but when she spoke, she had a very captivating tone when she spoke. I don't know what prosecutor. It yeah, it's, it was really... You know what I mean? Like, when, you're, yeah. when, you, when you make your living as like yeah. a, a prosecutor and, like, attorney general of California, I think, for a while and all that, yeah. you can do that, you yeah. can present yourself in that way. Like, that's part of your and, job, is to be good. And maybe it's just because when you put her up on stage next to Bernie, who's very Bernie, and Biden, who's out there mumbling and stumbling all over the place, her eloquence seems a little bit Stronger in comparison, next to some of the people she was up there with, like when the next person is Marianne Williamson talking about. Well, <laughs> so uh, all right, let's go to uh, this week's interview, which uh, pretty long one. We almost hit an hour with Malik. Um, again, we are starting at number fifty-three, so sort of a weird place to start. But it was the seminal punk rock band, emo band. I, I don't Panic at the Disco. They punk rock bands, pop punk. I guess they're on the they, list. They count in that. If you if you count all bands of that type, all that kind, yeah, they're out there. I mean. Uh, so again, check out uh, Malik on his podcast against the algorithm. His second season uh, either just wrapped up last week or is finishing up today when you hear this. So uh, check him out. Great dude. We are happy to have him on. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Yeah, yeah. This, this is the real one. You this know? is the real one. I got like we're we're playing with kid gloves there. In classic fashion, let me start here for you folks. Uh, 
Malik Gale of the uh, against the uh, against the algorithm podcast is back for a hey. second time. We just had a great forty-eight minute conversation breaking down the consequence of sound list one hundred greatest pop punk bands of all time. Uh, after forty-eight minutes, we had just gotten to what essentially would have been the end of part one. Yeah, we we <laughs> literally, literally had like two like we two we full got, parts. We got some we had some meat on it. Okay, so the first half of it was you know that band. Nope, moving nope, on, moving on. But the other half was really good. <laughs> So, uh, instead of going back to record all uh, numbers 100 through 40, I guess, through 46 or whatever it was, yeah. we're just going to start at about uh, where we ended off, which was at 54. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to, again, give uh, Malik just a moment to promote the show. You yep. guys just did your second season. You're yep. just finishing up. You have maybe one more episode. You're not sure. Yeah. That, like, again, in classic like podcasting fashion, I don't know if the season's done yet. <laughs> yeah. I, we, we might have one more episode, but we're closing out season two, um, taking a break for the holidays, and we'll be back. She's going to be back after, in probably late January, early February is where we're, mm. we're going to be coming back with a cool. vengeance. Cool. So it's been cool, though. Uh, well, listen, I, I love the show. I love the work you guys do on there. I... I'm so thrown off because I have to record all this stuff. Again. Uh, oh, no, really you're good. You talk about. Uh, there were some... I want to get into the list because knowing what I know about the first time we've done this... Yeah. We already... It took us a long time. I know <laughs> that we get through these bands that we're more familiar with. We, we, re- we refined the format. <laughs> Listen, we took... We workshopped it out. We... we, 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 we what is it? It's called... We... we te- product tested it out. We're te- yeah, we're doing our... Uh, <laughs> we're doing our... Like, this is a pilot episode, Yeah, basically. Listen. Uh, so there were a few bands I just want to mention that made it through the list from 100 through about 53 or so. Absolutely. That we sort of talked about that we will not get to talk about again because of it. Just a few I want to mention. Yeah. Uh, Good Charlotte, which is the first punk rock band I ever saw at Captain Trips Rainforest Preserve for all you old Utica heads out yep, there. Yep, and for you kiddos here, I found that song out from Scooby-Doo too <laughs> when they did Don't Want to Think yeah. About You. <laughs> and then uh, All Time Low was on this list as well. We thought Too Low, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked kind of a little bit about kind of how they were kind of quintessential pop punk. They did like a weird thing when they kind of went in a weird kind of like party pop like when everyone was kind of doing mm-hmm. the party thing like they went party pop for a little yeah, bit and then like they're like they, that's the best way they kind of describe it where it's like everything is about like gonna get drunk we'll remember tonight da, 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 da. that's also an interesting thing like you know we we're gonna talk about it as we go through the episode obviously yeah. some of this stuff there are two things i think a lot of when we talk about pop punk music and mm-hmm. I'm, i'll do that one but with you again before we get into the list no worries one is some of it I've aged out of, yeah. and that's been something I've noticed over the years. We talked about Good Charlotte. I look at Good Charlotte now as a band that I really liked that show when I was 15. Yeah. If you play me a Good Charlotte song now, I'm mostly listening to it to be like, huh. You gotta be, <laughs> you gotta be in like the right headspace and mood yeah. for it. It's like, it's all dependent. Uh, and as we go through this punk rock, like pop punk, which is hard to define, yeah. right, sort of comes into multiple subgenres. Yeah. There's so many things in there. Like we mentioned on a pilot episode, um, <laughs> like I kind of like think that that like whole subsection is like in three tiers. It's like on one side you've got pop, like you've got punk. The other side you have kind of indie, and mm-hmm. then third, and you kind of have like just kind of like alt and like pop. Like it's yeah, like, yeah. Well, we're gonna talk about Panic at the Disco in a second, which is yeah. the first one. And I think Panic at the Disco at number fifty four on this list. And if you folks want to read along with the list or see the bands that we missed before this, yeah, go to uh, consequencesound.net. The list is one hundred best pop punk bands. Because yeah. Panic at the Disco strikes me as a hard to define style of band. Yeah. So the thing about it was like, 
from episode like from albums one through three, they literally were just like we're gonna throw everything at the wall. First yeah. one's like Baroque, the second one's <laughs> yeah. fucking the Beatles, the third one is steampunk. <laughs> then after that, and like every album, there's a there's a, a band casualty. Someone leaves mm-hmm. the band. The first one was Brent. The second one was Spencer. No, it was Ryan and John. And the third one was Spencer. It's like. Panic at the Disco now strikes me as Brandon Urie really, like, became a big deal. Like, yes. he really opened him up, and, like, he probably makes tons of money now. Oh, he, he did the song for Frozen 2. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's like, the thing. He, I actually kind of like, so Panic at the Disco is an interesting one for me. Yeah. This is a band, we talked a little bit about All Time Low, how I yeah. think I'm right on the, the cusp of being on the outside of it. Yeah. I felt a little bit of that way about Panic at the Disco. Yeah. Um. The Fever You Can't Sweat Out album was right in that Fallout Boy sort of prime area. Yeah. I think right at that time I was sort of discovering like Radiohead and Pavement. So you're starting to go more towards like that. Like the sort of college indie rock kind of thing that I was sort of getting into. I think that I resented sort of the flashiness of Panic. It was very like sharp. It had like a very sharp edge to it. It's very theatric. It's very theatric. And I like musical theater. But for some reason, it didn't. I wanted it to be grittier. Yeah, and I think it was weird because I remember when the first record break came out, and like Ryan, like Brian Ross, the original songwriter, left, and everyone was like, "Pick lost its theatricness and like theatrical, like like energy to it." But I think like as time went on, it kind of like amplified. <laughs> like it's like very, it's very weird to kind of see like how much Panic has changed for me. Cause like I'm gonna put this way this way like time to dance for Pink of the Disco is one of my top five songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Like it was the first song I heard from them and like I absolutely like love it. It's a wildly driven. It's a wild. It's like it was a wildly theatrical song for a 13 year old to be like I like this song, <laughs> but it's it was the case. I think what's interesting too, they did the Beatles album. I think you can go. It's called Pretty Odd or whatever. Yes, it is. Pretty Comma. God, yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad album. Yeah. I just think it's a losing proposition. Dude, yeah. I'm, it's hard to make a Beatles album that doesn't feel contrived. Yeah. I actually like the song Nine in the Afternoon. It's oh a pretty my, good oh my song. God. I haven't thought about that song in forever. Not, oh like, my gosh. A, it is a well-crafted song. Very good song. I don't... I haven't heard it in years. I don't years. know why they made it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard it in years, Like, but like, I love... like If there's any record I've ever listened to, The Leaf from Panic, it's... It is pretty, pretty odd. odd. Yeah. My favorite one is controversial. It's the steampunk album. That's my favorite one. Everyone's like, that one sucks. I'm like, no, it's cool. Maiden Utica's Justin Parkinson struggles to understand what steampunk is. We have this conversation all the time. I'm like, it's just goggles and like gears. I don't know how to, yeah, t- <laughs> I don't but... know how to explain it. Uh, do you have any thoughts for the next band in our list? But before we move past Panic, do you, is there anything else you want to say about Panic? I know you had thoughts about Panic, but you wanted to get out before we move on from them. I mean, I think that's basically it. It's kind of very theatrical. It's weird kind of seeing the evolution. They kind of are following Fall Out Boy in the whole kind of like... Kind of surprising how popular they are. I think Panic beats out Fall Out yeah. Boy in some cases. Like, yeah. I think it switched. The, the, the whole paradigm yeah. shifted from like Fall Out Boy being like the big band and Pan kind of like running behind it to being like Fall... Like, like it switched over and it was weird. Uh, 53, something corporate. Mm. Uh, not much. I know I know the band name, but I have not... I, I know a lot about this. This is a bit more my era. Something Corporate is... I don't know how to put this. It doesn't come off a little bit. This is like when you were a punk rocker kid, Something Corporate was the your girlfriend's favorite band. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like this... They would write... I talked early on with you before we did... When we, when we recorded our first yeah. 50 minutes and it got destroyed. Uh, <laughs> uh, I... 
have a hard time with really earnest, straightforward songs. Yeah. Something Corporate is incredibly earnest. There is a... Re- like, the song's Constantine, I Woke Up in a Car, Punk Rock Princess. These are all very hit-you-over-the-head, longing, romantic, emo-punk songs. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who love Something Corporate. I, yeah. This just didn't... It wasn't for me. Not for me, dog. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, they're fine. I, I'm trying to think, like, I'm trying to think of what, like, a modern, like, emotional kind of band. Like, they, they were really heavy on, like, the emotional, like, I, I love mean, song kind yeah. of things. You ever heard of a band called Sludgeworth at 52? Nope. Beautiful. Moving on. I love it. We did a lot of this in the first Yes. Yeah, so if you want to know what the episode was, <laughs> if you really want to know what half the episode was beforehand, it was like, hey, Malik, have you heard this band before? Nope. nope. Moving on. <laughs> 51 Tilt Wheel. You heard of that one? Nope. I love it. We're going right back at it. All right. Here's one that I struggled. I was complaining in the original part we recorded that Weezer was not in this list. Yes. At number 50, they have a band called The Donnas, who was an all-girl rock group that kind of sounded like the Ramones or Kiss or Joan Jett. Like very... I'm... It's remembering it, but not like fully. Like, yeah. I don't even have an issue. I have no issue with the Donnas. Yeah. They do not... I don't know why they're on this list. Yeah. I, this is a total miss by Consequences Sound. Yeah, I think when we get lower, like, there's some bands that are good, but I don't know if they should be here. This is not a punk rock band. Yeah. Uh, 49 is a band called Lifetime. Uh, I don't know much about them, except when I was getting into punk rock, I was told that this is a band I should be aware of. Mm-hmm. Like, you should listen to Lifetime, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's as far as it goes. <laughs> How many, that's like another thing you get to when you're growing up and listening to this kind of stuff, is just people will throw stuff at you. Yeah. Dude, you don't listen to... Avail, what's wrong yeah. with you? I'm like, uh, well, the problem uh, is like, let's put it this way: if you don't like give, like you can only do like one or two of them, and you can you've got like give a song, but you can't like throw like five bands at someone, <laughs> and like, and I feel guilty because I ask people to name their favorite, like their favorite artist at the time, yeah. but you can't like throw like five artists at any given time without kind of giving them like explanation and like going into it. <laughs> because it's gonna go out one ear and out the other. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true too. Like, I think the most. The easiest, the way that I got into punk rock, honestly, was my cousin. My shout out to my cousin Mike. Lives in Florida now. Oh, he used to live in Florida. Now he lives in um, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, he's a doctor. He's a great guy. He's like living the dream now. But when he was a kid, he had like a CD booklet full of punk rock <laughs> CDs. That when he was around one day, I just looked through it and I was like, Oh my god, where are all these bands never heard? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. And to, like, it, you sort of have to find it in your own. I don't know yeah. if I would have liked it if he's like, Oh, you have to come out. And, yeah. Yeah, and take this. Like it kind of like. You kind of have to explore because I, I was even telling my girlfriend at the time we like we talked about it's it like if you talk to someone who's into kind of like pop punk or like emo music like no two people really have like this exact same like like either knowledge or kind of like tastes or interests like mm. it's all kind of scattered in different ways you know so it's like like you like we know only like the seminal bands but like there's mm. certain bands like when you get like really deep into it like you're pff, gone oh yeah yeah uh 48 is a band called sicko who i don't remember anything one of those bands love it, nothing 47 face to face much like lifetime another band that was thrown at me and like this is another important band from 90s sort of offspring like yeah. that kind of thing but i just not get not it for me, me. Mr. T Experience, number 46, <laughs> great name. The best name ever. <laughs> I got nothing on it, though. This was another one of those 90s punk bands that we would some, I would see at the record store. Yeah. When I worked at the record store, but no one ever bought it. it was like, just... I did my due diligence and looked up pop, pop punk on Wikipedia, and their name came up. <laughs> there you go. See, it is. Uh, 45, 
This is a band I remember from mixtapes. Oh, yeah. Band called Reggie and the Full Effect. Do you have anything about this? Yes. So okay, I good. so I know a few things about Reggie and the Full Effect because Reggie or James Deweese hmm. is the keyboard player for Mike Chem. Okay. Cool. So during like he was like I think he's like the unofficial like fifth member. Mm-hmm. So I checked him out a little bit more. Like love his music. I the first song I learned on bass was "Take Me Home, Please." So okay. I, I love like I love that song. One of my favorite songs. Um, it's kind of weird because like a lot of like he went through a divorce, so like that like really was an undercurrent like one of his records, and like you could really yes. like it's not a band you could really listen to a lot because it's just kind of like divorce, like it's like it hits hard. Yes. When uh, when that album came out, that was two thousand five's songs not to get married to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He had a song called Get Will Soon, Get Will Soon, which was kind of a big yeah. hit. Um, they would play that in the record store when I was working at FYU back then, and that was, I was like, oh, this is, this is something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, it's heavy. You're like, oh, you're like, stuff. Uh, I'm going to, you would say that you paused. Just no, to no, save no, it's it. fine. No, no, so I'll, I'll go back and edit it later. Uh, 44, do you have anything to say about this band, Say Anything, because yes. I have a lot to say about it. Yes, I, I, know, I do know a few things. Okay. So Max Vemus is like an interesting character. Wild guy. Wild. Wild character. He's like, an it, auteur. Like, I don't know everything about him because there's just so fucking much. Mm. But, like, I remember the first time I heard, like, wow, I can get sexual too. And I was like, what the f-? Like, well, like, I remember hearing it for the first time and being like, I feel dirty. It's, uh, we talked a little bit about Panic the Disco being, yeah. like, theatrical. Oh. Say Anything is about as musical theater as punk rock gets. There yeah. is a... I remember, shout out to, you know, Kevin on the podcast, my buddy Cheeks. This is an album that I remember going out and getting. We went out and bought Is A Real Boy, the the album, and drove around in his Chevy Malibu for three hours (laughs) and just listened to it. And it felt like something at the time that was like, this is life-changing. Yeah. Like, it's weird, because, like, there's, like, one line. Like, there's no other line that I can't imagine being less calm to than, I won't let them take. <laughs> and it's like, you it's can't so say that, like, you can't say that line calmly. Like, you've got to, like, yell it. It's, he wrote such interesting harmonies and song structures. And at the time, when I was, like, writing music, it yeah. felt inaccessible. It's like, I don't even know where you would start to write a song yeah. like this. You know what I mean? And, I, again, I think this is a band with somewhat diminishing returns as you get a little bit farther down the line. But, yeah. A lot of the stuff, even later on, some of it's still pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and I think the thing about it is, I know you're talking about, like, not really liking, like, Ernest sometimes, but, like, the tone in his voice, mm. like, really, like, yeah. it's, like, wrenching sometimes. When he wants to, like, really make you, like, you go through it, like, he can do Max it. Max Bemis is Ernest in a showy way. <laughs> yeah. Really, like, it's a very elaborate sort of earnest. Instead of being, like... Hey, this is my feelings. It's like these are my feelings, and you're like oh. very raw, and, and you're like, "Are you okay?" It's like, "No, I'm not." And you're, yeah, it yeah. hits you like a brick when he says, "Yeah." That. Uh, I do think that that album was was a big one. Uh, Forty three, MXPX. You have anything about these guys? Nothing. Okay, I have a short one about this. No one. MXPX, punk band in the Blink One Eighty Two Green Day era, same time competing thing, same energy, yeah. So they, at the time, one of the questions was whether or not they were a Christian rock band. Oh, yeah. There was, a, there was sort of like this... That's a, I feel like a lot of bands kind of went through that. Kind of like, like Switchfoot. Yes. <laughs> Reliant K. Yeah, there was a lot of those bands. In like, that same sort of wheelhouse. As they've moved on, they've sort of said that that's not the case. But I wonder back then if they just let that story go because they might get more sales. Like, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe we just like you, deep music. You just drop a line about faith and who knows what happens. He's another one, though, the guy who sings in this, gotta like the voice. Mm. Have to like the voice. Um, all right, well, I'll move on to this. 42, The Distillers. 
this is the girl lead singer. I can't think of her name. Brody Dale. Uh, I don't know anything about the band. I remember them just because she was sort of an icon. Yeah. She had like a certain look. The name sounds like wildly familiar. They had an album called Coral Fang, which if anyone knows what this is, it's a very popular album. Again, this was yeah. not for me. This is a little more like rancid, Pennywise, that sort of like grimy. Either it hits you or you don't. Yeah, it's like dirtier punk rock. Yeah. Like it's not, it doesn't feel like pop yeah, punk. It kinda, yeah, it kind of leans a little bit more towards the punk section of it. 41, a band called, what is this called? Sweet Baby? That's a weird name. <laughs> Uh, 40, Less Than Jake. We're going to get to a couple different bands in this list yeah. that are listed as pop punk. Yeah. Who are objectively ska bands. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Less Than Jake. I I love the album Hello, uh, what's it called? Hello Rockview, I believe is the name of the album. It's yeah. one particular album I really love for them. <laughs> this is a ska band. This band has horns in it. You, yeah. I mean, good, Goldfinger's not on this list. Uh, spoiler alert. Or, I love Goldfinger. Or Real Big Fish. Or Real Big Fish. I would prefer both of those bands oh, to yeah. Less Than Jake. I don't think that... Uh, uh, if Real Big Fish was on here, I would not complain. I saw them <laughs> at like, the last Warped Tour. Like, they were there. And I remember seeing them do their cover of Take On Me. I don't think Ska's ever coming back. <laughs> I, think we've, I think we've missed the, <laughs> the golden I would, era. I follow a guy named Skatoon Network on like... <laughs> Who's really good? Like so, I think I like, like horns. I think that's a big selling thing for me. But I feel like every time Scott comes back around, we get like a like a six months of it, and then it vanishes. Like, dur, dur, dur. yeah, just like there's one horns like that song about uh, marrying you. That was sort of a Scott song. That was like a popular song at every wedding. Now I have to look that one up afterwards. Yeah. Uh, moving on to thirty nine, a band called the Dickies. I got nothing. No, beautiful. <laughs> thirty eight, Taking Back Sunday. Oh. Uh... I'm gonna get murdered because I. It's one of those bands that like I literally like time and time again. Everyone was like, "You need to check this band out." I will get flack on like multiple bands about not literally listening to Take Back Take Back Sunday. Take Back Sunday. Uh, I respect that they've been around as long as they have. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things. When you grew up, if you listened to the Beatles, there was always this weird impression that if you listen to the Beatles, you can't like the Rolling Stones, or vice versa. If you yeah. like Pearl Jam, you can't like Nirvana. It's like Versus. Like, there's always there's, like, a, there's like, some, and it seems silly when you get older, like, well, who gives a shit, like right? Like, all in a fucking book. Yeah. Taking Back Sunday, brand new, was sort of that argument for a period of time for a certain generation of, like, punk rocker kids. Yeah. You either like Taking Back Sunday, or you like Brand New, Yeah. and you're on that side of the argument. I liked both of these bands, but I definitely prefer Brand New. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, Taking Back Sunday continues to put out albums. Like they were at the yeah. brewery last year, yeah, and I got I was lucky enough to watch them do soundcheck, and they they were they were on. I mean, I was doing social media. I was was I was a tour guide, so I was setting things up oh, while it was happening. I mean, they're they're an interesting one. I mean, I wish Kevin actually were here for this because Kevin yeah. Kevin just probably has a more nuanced take on Taking Back Sunday, Which but is, yeah. Thoughts on Coheed and Cambria, though, too. I like Coheed and Cambria. Yeah, <laughs> just, I mean, I'm sorry, I completely interrupted you there, yeah. but yeah. It's, I'll say this to Take Mech Sunday. They never were able to put out... I like a lot of their songs, but at the very apex, Brand New wrote more songs that I thought were better. Yeah. Whereas Take Mech Sunday had a lot of, like, B-plus... A minus kind of songs. Songs that don't really break the, like I, th- I had the issue with All Time Low. There's like a lot of songs yeah. like I was like, okay, I like it, but I'm not like dying over it. 
Uh, 37 is the Ataris, or the Ataris, depending on what your uh, pronunciation <laughs> if of it you is. Say, it's got to be Ataris. But can, it's got to be the Ataris. I can't, I can't say Ataris. I'm not going to say Ataris. Uh, the Ataris are probably the most well-known for a cover in the mid-2000s of the song The Boys of Summer by Don Henley. It's a punk rock version of that song. It's actually quite good. It is yeah. a good cover. Uh, but again, I, I don't think we need to get too deep into the Ataris. They had... <laughs> Like, one album that I really liked. Yeah, that and was a couple songs. I think Just Time and Place with this band. Mm-hmm. Unwritten Law, number 36. You got no, anything in these guys? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> never heard of them. I swear I'm sorry. No, I'll show you. Uh, I'll show you. You said Modern Baseball, though. You had some thoughts yes, on so, 35, because I don't have too many. So, the thing about it was, like, there's a lot. It's weird, because there's some, like, there's, like, a weird renaissance of kind of, like, very, like, DIY pop punk slash emo. Where it's like, there's bands that kind of have that, like, there's like a guitar and it's like very kind of a little bit more grungier. Sure. And like, there's like, they're very earnest. Like, it's like, <laughs> they're very earnest. Like, there's like, let's put it this way. It's, it's, it's like, one of the lines that, like, I need to make sure it's a modern baseball line. There's a line where it's like, literally, like, bullshit, you fucking miss me. There, I said, I guess I'll talk to you in, in a few months. Yeah. That's like, that's like a best line I can say to, like, kind of like, convey that <laughs> i confused modern baseball with a different band called modern football who is oh, also yeah. a sort of emo earnest band yeah but not the same thing so oh yeah like i've heard of like modern football but i need to like american Amer- american football it, american football that's what i'm thinking of modern baseball american football yes. my bad 34 is a band called Waves, which is probably the most modern band yeah, no, there's on a, this. I think movie. there's a few more. This is 2010. Was this album when this came? This is the most modern band I have on my iTunes. Okay, there you go. There <laughs> is we that go. better for you? Yeah, but like, they seem very surf rocky for, in some cases. Very surf rocky. Yeah, it's like, that's the weird thing for me. I've seen a lot of resurgence of pop punk influence in music over the last 10 years. Oh, I can specifically look at a band like Male Bonding or Best Coast. Oh, or uh, and Waves is another one. It's one of the first times as a guy who grew up listening to this style of music, I was like, oh yeah, so other people, other people were on this too, and they're sort of taking it and trying to do their own thing with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This, I, I don't love every Waves with two V's song. Oh, no. Yeah. But they they get some stuff. Post acid is like one like I love post acid. Yeah. yeah. Thirty three. The starting line. Um, I talked about sometimes there are bands that you're supposed to like. I like Blink. I like. Green Day, I like Newfound Glory, I like this, yeah. so inherently, I should like the starting line. Nope. No, that's nope. Like, that's the weird thing, and like, if you talk to someone who's like, likes it, and you don't, it's like, it's a, it's very mm-hmm. quick to kind of have like, someone turn on you. I'll get a lot of flack for saying that I don't like the starting line. They did have a song called The Best of Me, which is probably their biggest hit, mm-hmm. and it is a certain era of... Like, there's a certain amount of people who love that. Like, I bet you a lot of people got married to that song. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. a, a certain group of people were like, this is our wedding song. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, it never did it for me. <laughs> 32, Fastbacks. Anything? <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. 31, Pennywise. Pennywise. You have too? Nothing? No, no, no. no. Uh, this one, we're going to get to another band in a little bit who's a better example, but this is what you would call a Tony Hawk pro skater. Okay, okay. so another, uh, another Tony Hawk Another Tony Hawk yeah, gotcha. skater. We'll get to the definitive one coming up. Number 30 is a band called Fiddler. Yes, I you love I good. love Fiddler. <laughs> okay, so, do you know no, Okay, let me t- Do you know what Fiddler stands for? No. Fuck it, dog, life's a risk. That's true story. <laughs> <laughs> so, they're another like kind of surf rocky band oh. and it's like like the thing about it was 
a few members of the band kind of like had to deal with like being homeless, drug addiction. So it's very much a band like that's like the early records are like a lot of like like in your face heavy, sure. like, not like heavier, but it's like very much kind of in like that mm. hazy mindset. Sure, sure, like Stoner Rock or something. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like Stoner Rock's the best way to describe it. They kind of, um they dropped the recent record, um, which is really good. I love it. They work. They've been working with Ricky Reed, so the guy who worked been working with Lizzo. They've been working on mm. him, but it's like kind of cool. Like it's like the recent song they had is like by myself, mm-hmm. and it's all about being like I'm cracking one open with the boys <laughs> by myself. <laughs> and it's like kind of talking about like recovering sure. from being like an alcoholic, mm. and like that's like an interesting vibe. But I huh. feel that's really awesome. Uh, 29 and 28 are two bands I'm not familiar with. 29 is That Dog, 28 is The Queers. Both bands I've heard of, but I don't have any, Nothing. like, real context yeah. for. Uh, I do have a lot of context for the band of 27, though. A band called Cloud Nothing. So are you familiar with this band? I didn't know Cloud Nothing. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. I sometimes feel that, as I get to, I'm almost 34, I'll be 34 in January. Yeah. I hate to admit that. I sometimes don't hit on new music. Like, I don't go looking for it as often. I'm not on, like, when I, I used to be on Pitchfork every day looking for new music. I'd oh, be yeah. on Brooklyn Vegan looking for new music. I'd be on all these sites. Cloud Nothings was a nice bonus for me. Yeah. I wasn't looking for this band. They sort of showed up. I went to see them in Brooklyn years ago and just like, oh, man. Like, where, how how did I miss this? This yeah. was, Cloud Nothings feels like the an older more refined version of everything I liked when I was younger. That's gotta be it, It's a though. very dense, really well-mixed, interesting guitar tones, cool ideas, not too intense in terms of, like, being out there, like, yeah. hitting melodies and hitting choruses Look at work where it needs to work. It's a really, really refined... It feels concentrated in a way that a lot of stuff isn't. That's good. It's really, really cool. I love Cloud Nothing. Because sometimes you gotta remember with a lot of these bands, it's like, you build these the stuff in, like, your bedroom, and, like, it's, like... It's all, like, in your mm. garage. So, like, those early records, they have, like, kind of, like, that freedom to it, but still, like, yeah. it's, like, a little bit sloppy. So having something that's kind of, like, refining, but also, like, very solid. I feel bad for uh, Maiden Utica's Justin Parkinson, who's sitting in the green room. No idea what we're talking about in here. He hates <laughs> pop-punk music. He's, he's like, um, let's go out to 26 for a second. This is the band Millen Colin. Are you familiar with this band? Not them. This is the quintessential um, Tony, Hawk, Tony Hawk pro skater team. There we go. Uh, we talked about, uh, just now we talked about Penny, Pennywise, yep. and the first thing we talked about, Lagwagon, who was the last punk rock band I've seen, period. Yeah. Mill and Colin, go listen to the song No Cigar by Mill and Colin, and if you're a person like me, the minute you hear it, what you also hear is skateboard wheels turning in your head from when you're going down the ramp on when the level starts. Like, it's impossible. Like, immediately. Just immediately, like, like, you just hear like, oh, yeah. there it is. Going down the pipe. Uh, yeah. So few video games that kind of like have quintessential soundtracks. For like pop punk, it's that. For indie, it's FIFA. FIFA. Oh, FIFA. <laughs> I mean, Justin play a lot of FIFA, and now it's all that Euro music. And yeah. it's like, I'll hear a song on FIFA, and I'll be like walking around singing it. And then two weeks later, it'll be in like some car commercial. I'm like, oh, this is a FIFA like, one. Tudor <laughs> Cinema Club was like what, like the first thing that comes to mind. Like, <laughs> I hear like what you know, like the dun 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 Oh, yes, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's actually a song by the band called Bastille. Oh, yes. Yeah. on a FIFA yeah, track. Yeah, I hear ooh, that one. Like, yeah, I, man, FIFA, Tony Hawk, I'm trying to think, I've never even known what a Madden soundtrack sounds like these days, I couldn't tell you, it's probably all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 25 is Joyce Manor, who is another band I've sort of yes. secretly kind of come around on over the last few years. Kind of, it, it, Modern Baseball and Joyce Manor are kind of like in the same mm-hmm. ballpark with me, like it, it's a, a band that kind of like, 
really kind of dug, really have that, like, they're very earnest and, like, in that vibe. I didn't listen to, I've listened to him a ton. There's, like, a little bit of time where I, like, really, really listened to him a yeah, ton. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. One, la- one last thing I'll say about Joyce Manor, though, much like talking about Cloud Nothings earlier, very refined version of something I've heard in the past. Like, taking yes. a lot of the stuff I grew up on listening to and really filtering it down to, like, the, the really interesting aspects of yeah, it. Yeah, it kind of, like, it kind of confronts the genre sometimes. Not, like, not like in, like, a combative way, but kind of, like, brings up... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 24, Propagandi, another band from a time... I just remember the name. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't tell you, like, if I went to a record store and I was in the punk rock section, I would scroll past a Propagandi album. And be on, yeah. And, and, and <laughs> moving right past on. 23, Fall Out Boy. Here we, we go. Here we, sh- here we go. You made fun of me last time we did this podcast because I sort of talked about playing music in that era. Fall Out Boy, we sort of treated it like contemporary. That's not the case, <laughs> I didn't right? Make fun, I didn't make fun of you for that. <laughs> but it's the idea that, like, this felt like what we were competing against, yeah. right? But, like, it's, like, if you're talking about career arcs, it's, mm. like, just this weird kind of seeing, like, there's very few bands that have, like, that much prominence and permanence. Oh, yeah. Um, do you know about the Emo tr- Trinity? The Emo Trinity. No, please, tell me more about so in So, on Tumblr and, like, Twitter and, like, <laughs> social media, there is an Emo Trinity. I love it. Which is Pink the Disco, My Chemical Romance, and Fall Out Boy. That makes a lot of sense. So, those are, like, the... And, like, so it's, like, around, like, the mid-late um, 2000s, the bands that kind of were, like, major... It's, like, a major... Like, like, on, like whenever you looked in, like pop punk and emo like online and you're just kind of like looking at recent stuff like the emo trinity always popped up oh yeah so like it's weird like kind of thinking about that they you know it's it was interesting to watch them sort of become the most popular band of their moment like they yeah like i listened to calm before the storm and take this to your grave that was like circulated around people were handing that off to their friends yeah and then from one of the court like i mean we used to cover down down and like, yeah. like that those were popular songs again breaking it's, into mainstream culture as a punk band and they like went in there and they never really like, it's weird kind of seeing like the comparison of like where their careers are now because it's just like <laughs> i'm trying to think of uh there's like one fringe unpopular follow-up boy song that i listen to every now and then it's the oh, i got all these rings on my i got all this ringing in my ears but none of my fingers oh god <laughs> no i that song. I like that song. Yeah. It's a pretty good. It's one. a really good one. But yeah, like it's like their whole arc is weird. Like now they drop, they just dropped Mania. Mania was decisive. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, they are in a place now where they're doing songs for the NFL. They're like yep. working with Demi Lovato. They're doing. Oh, the, like... don't, don't get me. Irresistible <laughs> is if there's any. Like my least favorite Saw Boy song is Irresistible, and I don't think that's a controversial opinion <laughs> because they tried so hard to make that song work and it didn't. What's the song that's got like the Adams Family Monsters thing in it? Uma Thurman. That was, that also didn't go well. That's like something that, weird, man. They had to apologize for centuries playing so much because <laughs> they played it. It was the official song for college football, and oh. they played it so much that Pete Wentz apologized <laughs> in an interview. Uh, I do think, though, that this will be a band uh, that sort of stands the test of time from this. And when people go back and talk about, like, pop-punk bands, I know that we're going to get to the top ten sooner than later. Oh, yeah, And yeah. these are bands that people talk about pretty regular, like your Jimmy World, your Blink-182's New Effect. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in the long run, Fall Boy will, Fall be, Boy will be 
one of the bands that is pre- considered that next. Oh, hands down, in people line. people love to rag on them during their time, but I think like Fall Boy is still going. Do you have anything about this band, Number Twenty Two, bomb the music industry? I love the name. A great industry. <laughs> it great sounds name, like yeah. it sounds like an against the algorithm knockoff name. <laughs> Uh, 21 is a band called Motion City yes, Soundtrack. I, I love Motion City. I appreciate you saying that. This is a... Uh, we talked about theatrical bands a little bit. Say anything theatrical bands. Uh, this is another sort of like... Yeah. Gives me that sort of well-crafted... A, a very earnest band that I like anyway. <laughs> yeah, like somehow, somehow, I don't know why, this band, as earnest as they are, it felt honest yeah. and heartfelt and... It had a really interesting sound to it. Yeah, Justin could really, especially in the early records, kind of like hit that like paranoia. Yeah. Like especially like the future freaks me out. Yeah, future freaks me out. Is like there's songs song. like that that like, really kind of like hit that, and they're they're they're, they're coming back now. Uh, I don't know if it was the name of the song. I think the song is called Hangman. The actual song that has the lyrics commit yeah. this to memory. Yeah. That one. That one gets me. It was like it's weird. Like what was it? There's what um, my dinosaur life, which was produced by Mark Hoppus, was like the record. That yeah. I, like I love that one too. I would say. It's a real weird... I don't know what you would call it. You ever listen to a song and you can, like, feel it? Yeah. My, Motion City Soundtrack makes songs sometimes that I can feel, like, my chest when they come yeah. out. Yeah, like I don't... something about the the tone or the yeah. way it's crafted. It just hits me correctly. I don't know why, especially when I hear... Her words destroy my plants, that song for me. I don't know why. Yeah. But that song is just so, like, biting. Uh, let's talk about My Chemical Romance. You're wearing... Oh, the shall we? Number 20. Shall uh, we? I gave you a bit of a hard time yeah. on, uh, on Twitter, just sort of goofing around. Oh, no, you're you. good. But My Chemical Romance, I think we talked about the subgenres. Yeah. Is this goth punk? Is it emo punk? Like, what would you describe I don't, as... I don't know, but... I this is theater it. punk. Yeah. <laughs> but if I'm being honest, I'm going to be controversial opinion. I think they should be higher. Higher? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm, they should have at least got top ten. I am genuinely surprised. Yeah. By how much people love My Chemical Romance, because I did kind of... It, it didn't hit me. It just yeah. didn't. You know what I mean? It's... The, the how did you feel when the reunion got announced? Because it was like a collective, like, like on my end. It literally, I saw people from all walks of life, like people who tweet about fashion, video games, movies, people I've, on Friends. Like, it was like waking up sleeper agents. Genuinely, Everyone just like. <laughs> genuinely shocked. I, really, I honestly thought that this was a band that had like a certain underground following. I did not realize that they hit so hard and that I just missed it. That no. I was on the outside. Of what it. was it? Um back I didn't think I mentioned it back in the day, but I was part of like a my chemical romance like when they like, Yeah yeah. Like I was part of like a my chemical group romance like fan group, more or less. <laughs> but Would like, you um are you going to go see them when they come are you gonna try and go see them? I there's rumors that they're doing a, a tour. Yeah. Um rumors about an album. They're doing their first show back like later this month. Mm. So I am excited to see where things are going. Everyone doesn't want to hold out hope ever since like what happened with the welcome? There's like a whole debacle because Welcome to Black Black Party. They did like a, a re-release of it. Yeah, but they did it very cryptically, where they had like the the key. Like they they started off with like an, an X, and the the intro keys to Welcome to the Black Parade. So all you see is done. So everyone literally thought it was gonna be a reunion, and they were like, "No, it's just gonna be a re-release." And that was the biggest betrayal for every. I've seen so many Michael McCormick fans burned by it that. Everyone's either like, nope, I'm not gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till they say something because they were burned that badly by MCRX. <laughs> I'm gonna do a quick stop here so we don't lose it. All right, we're back on there. I just want to. Uh, I'm gonna skip past this next one because I've never heard of them unless you have. It's called Jay Church. Yeah, anything? Nothing. Nothing. All right, moving on. 
Uh, saves the day, number 18. I feel like I really should know these guys, especially since, like, other uh, man's... Like, Fallboy mentioned them as being, like, a big, like, uh, contemporary for them. I think that's actually the most prescient point with this band. Uh, for guys, you know, if you like Blink-182, if you like Say Anything, if you like, you know, Panic! the Disco, Fall Out Boy, this is, like, a progenitor band. If yeah. You go back and listen to, um, a Through Being Cool by Saves the Day, and it's a really cool album. Some of this holds up for me as yeah. I get older. Funny story about Saves the Day, though. Shout out to my buddy John Zangrone, who's uh, a stag party I just went to this weekend. <laughs> He's a big Saves the Day fan from back in the day. He was a punk rocker kid. He went to a show to see Saves the Day, and a girl in front of him had told me she got a Saves the Day tattoo, and she opened, she pulled her lip down to do the lip tattoo. She had the band's initials tattooed on All her lips. All of them? No, the band. Oh, oh, S- oh yeah. STD. That I was she the had, in- <laughs> Oh, no, that's the initials of, like, every band member. No, that's what I was she thinking. had the initials for Saves the Day, which are STD, on the inside of her oh. lip, tattooed, to which my friend was like, so the inside of your lip just says STD? And she's like, yeah, why? <laughs> I was like, it's amazing. Uh, saves the Day. I think Saves the Day is actually also a progenitor to the idea that you have to be in on a guy's singing voice. He has yeah. a very particular singing voice. You have to like it. If you don't, you'll have a hard time with it. That's just, just it, the reality of it. Yeah, I'm going to get off, basically. He did a bunch of stuff with the Say Anything guy. As oh. Well, that was the Two Tongues album. 17, the Get Up Kids. Do you have any thoughts about Get Up Kids? Not much, really. I do. This is earlier... This is sort of another one that I... Super important band. Progenitor band for a lot of things. Kind of wouldn't call them a pop punk band. Uh, like I love the song "Sympathy." I love the song um, "Close to Home," uh, which is a cover that they did of um, of like a Smith song, which gives you a better idea of what their kind of general vibe from, is. Yeah, a lot of keyboard friendly stuff, like a lot of like synthy heavy stuff. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't call it pop punk, but there's some stuff here that a lot of like I bet you Mark Hoppus loves. The <laughs> I mean, like I bet you somewhere along the time. Uh, 16 is a band called Screeching Weasel. I'm only familiar with the name. Same. Couldn't tell you. I've got nothing. Uh, number 15, whenever I get to it. Okay, load up there. Number 15, The Bouncing Souls. Progenitor punk rock band. Yeah. Uh, they do a really good version of the song Olay. Like, you hear, like, Olay, Olay, Olay. The definitive version of that song. If you're looking for a version of that. Um, number 14 is a band called The Ergs. E-R-G-S. Exclamation point. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. (laughs) 13 is No Effects. And I told you I made a list of my top five. This is the first band we've come across that is on my list at number three. Oh, wow. No Effects. That's rough. It's high. It's like, it's weird, like, looking at a lot of those bands that are, like, I don't know. It's like, it just feels like this list is kind of weird. It's a weird list. Well, No Effects, growing up listening to Blink and Green Day. Uh, first, like, two major important punk rock bands I learned to play guitar on. Yeah. No Effects felt like the next step up. They were a little edgier. They were a little bit <laughs> grosser. They were a little drunker. They were a little bit more... They are like, older punk rockers. You can, like, lean into it a little bit more. Yeah, they felt, like... They felt gross. They felt dirty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and they wrote, like, funny songs, and some of them were kind of offensive, but for the most part, they were just, like, two-and-a-half-minute, like, rip-roaring punk rock songs. Yeah. And, Punk and Drublick is like a well-known, super, like touchstone album. I I just loved No Effects, much like Bad Religion, who somehow didn't make this list at yeah. all. I give him a lot of credit for basically making a career out of like seven chords, <laughs> just like in different recycled like versions. There's a lot of that. <laughs> my first AOL screen name. That's how old I am. Was Fat Sam. 
because I wanted to be like Fat Mike from oh, No Effects. <laughs> um, I'll move on to number 12, The Offspring. Do you have any thoughts on The Offspring? It's weird because it's like I've listened to some Offspring songs. Mm-hmm. Like, I really dig the songs I know, but beyond that, it's kind of like, like you're going to go Fire Kid. <laughs> like that. I feel so bad. What's interesting about The Offspring is Offspring was a popular band before I would say the Green Day Blink-182 popularity opened yeah. them up. Then they got popular in 98 when they did Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Yes. However, this, they'd already put out like hits like um, like Self-Esteem was a big song in the 90s. So they sort of changed their vibe to be a little more pop punky yeah in the late 90s so they, like they leaned into it like they, they do certain bands like where like they le- try to lean out of it this one doesn't hang for me offspring yeah. is an important punk rock band but i i have a hard time really listening to the offspring now, real the voice is tough dexter holland is a bad yeah. voice i'm sorry it's someone will get mad at me for this 100 percent. yeah uh number 11 is rancid Again, a band I feel like I should know. I should I mean, be they're come... a ska band. I don't know. Yeah, my God. <laughs> I'm going to get yelled at for that one, too. Ten Alkaline Trio, another band that I... I... Heard a little bit of them. I love... Like I know how from Caleb loves them. I've listened to earlier stuff. Mm. It's kind of weird to kind of see like the cross-section of like All Kind and... Yeah, it's All Kind. And Blink now. Yeah. It's... They, they strike me as like the kind of band that I feel like I know... I should know more about them. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have a lot of connections to, like, other bands I like, like Hot Water Music, who also didn't make this list frustratingly. Uh, I'm going to go to number nine, though, because this is another band I have on my list. That's yep. brand new. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> uh, that's brand new at number nine. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts about brand new before we dig into that? I don't know. If no, you go ahead and dig in, because I feel like it's one of those bands that... Like, there's a lot of bands that they're like, okay, you really should dig a little bit more into it, and I just haven't. The first, the first album they did, uh, the first... Uh, Your Favorite Weapon is a punk pop punk album for sure sounds like you know four chords and really cool stuff very quickly they seem like they wanted to be radiohead like they (laughs) they moved if you go lightning speeds yeah if you go to like devil and god raging between us if you go to like uh their later works like uh, i'm trying to think of the album like dejuan tondu even has some stuff that is getting into that realm yeah they very quickly decided that there was not a future only writing like pop punk style stuff their songs can get so angsty oh. and so heavy that you're like, jeez, Louise, <laughs> pretty dark. But I, I have a hard time thinking about them as anything other than like a, like almost like a prog kind of, it's weird. I, yeah. I wouldn't think of them as like a pop punk band outside of that one album. Oh, yeah. But I loved their music. I really, I know that he's sort of canceled now, but... I, yeah, I mean, let's put it this way: pop punk is weird because you also have to rectify the blame the girl narrative and like a lot of the songs. A lot of the stuff, it's true. There's like, a... <laughs> like there's like if let's let's put it this way: with every single band, there's like there's like there's some sort of like hating women narrative or like well, except for the next band we get to, but yeah, <laughs> no, even even, even Paramore, <laughs> Misery Business, that's true. <laughs> like no one was safe. Like everyone had like a hate the grown mentality, and it was like, and that's one thing that it's kind of hard to like kind of like consolidate because like sometimes you'll hear it and like, yeah. you're like, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Do you? Uh, I missed Paramore, which sounds weird because yeah. I know that they are a huge deal. But like, oh, yeah. can you give me like what that must have been? What was that like when that was popping off? Was everyone in on Paramore? Did every girl want to be Haley Williams? <laughs> my sister, I, my, I think like Paramore is awesome. I love Paramore. They're still they're still really cool. They've also done, like, the music shift where they're now kind of sure. going, like, 
I would have to say like kind of like new wavy. That's a that's actually a kind of a natural transition. I feel yeah, like. you even see a lot of punk bands make that feel like pop punk into sort of like that sort of dancey punk, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you want to get a little groove to but it. But like, it's like depressed. It's kind of like because album's called After Laughter. Mm-hmm. So like, the whole point of it was kind of like Haley was in like a really dark place. It was kind of like mm-hmm. where things were going for her. Like, and like the whole point was like what comes after laughter. Yeah. Like that moment like when you're happy, excited, and laughing, <laughs> and like the moment that like the laughter stops and you kind of just like switch back in. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's a dark record, but it's also kind of like dancey, but like, it's kind of weird to kind of see the shifts because like, Paramore I feel like is one of those quintessential bands, especially with Twilight. Like, the, oh, like, yeah. like, like, like Twilight kind of like propelled them, especially with Decode, which is wild. Amazing voice. Yeah. Amazing voice. And I think that it's, you know, it's pretty obvious to be like, you know, well, she's got a great voice. Season. Yeah. Goes a long way, like, but I feel really... like Paramore is like one of those bands that like really can't stand the test of time, and it's weird because like the industry, like you know, like the industry things like, where it's like technically I don't know if it's a change, but like Haley was the only one signed to Paramore. Mm-hmm. Like Haley was the only one that had a record deal. Oh yeah. So like that's like the weird thing where like everyone else in the band is like it's just it like the no doubt situation, right? Yeah. All we care about is Stefani. Everyone else can be replaced. Yeah. Theoretically, and it's wild, like. Like, just kind of seeing, like, there's always, there's been drama for the last few years. So, like, like the brothers left, mm. and then there was just a three-piece band, and then Jeremy, the bassist, left, and then sued them. And then, like, one of the, like, the brother, uh, one of the brothers came back. So, it was, like, that weird, like, drama mm-hmm. always happening with them. Uh, they're a band that I sort of miss that I understand is super important to other yes. people. Uh, number seven on this list is actually number one on my list. That is Jimmy Worlds. I feel like they're um, quintessential. Like I feel like you just can't really. This is emo. Yeah. This is like beginner's emo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's I mean, emo. Really... It's emo light. <laughs> it's emo. Light. I would say though that Jimmy World, their last couple albums haven't been amazing, but they yeah. always have the ability on every album to put out at least one or two tracks. You're like, oh yeah, they can still do it. Yeah. Jimmy World has a lot of songs. I don't even like the their most popular song, which would be the middle. It's fine. Yeah. But praise chorus, sweetness, like these songs hit that sort of. My best theory is my favorite one for them. Was it my best theory? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I also like the actual song "Futures." Yeah. Which is a banger. Like it's weird. I I really like. There when like there's a lot like when you get when you hit like the top ten there's bands that you just like respect respect yeah except I mean, except Brandon but like, there's just mainly respect <laughs> Jimmy World was what I wanted our band to be at the time like that was the yeah. closest thing. I was like they are emo they're pop punk they're rock they have vocal harmonies they do really like singing different melodies they can do ballads they can do bang like, I love the actual song yeah. Bleed American which is a real killer like just yeah. This is my number one. When we hit near the end, I have a controversial question to ask. Like my sure. Girl, well, hit me. My, We're my, almost my, at the end anyway. Okay, my girlfriend posed this question to me, and I want to sure. ask it now. Is the killers a pop? Are the killers a pop punk? Pop no. punk me? No? No. I would think that they're sort... In the same way that we're talking about how a lot of pop punk stuff goes into new wave or dance at some point, like some of it skews off. Yeah, I think there's a connection between those two sort of genres of music, whether it's the British connection going back like the 80s and the Clash. That's yeah. sort of like... They don't... They're a weird one because they sort of do genre stuff. Like, if you yeah. go back to, like, Sam's Town by the Killers, that almost has, like, Springsteen-y vibes to it. Yeah. Whereas the album after that has, like, Are We Human, Are We Dancer, some of the worst lyrics I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, that feels like straight-up 80s disco album. So, yeah. I would say no. Yeah. They strike me more as just, like, a, a pop band that celebrates genres. Right. Like, we're just going to pick genres. And they can kind of, like, pick. 
go from there. Yeah, I would love to hear them do a punk album. Like, give me a killer's punk oh, album. Oh, gosh. Uh, number six is Operation Ivy. This is, again, progenitor ska bands. <laughs> yeah, but the song Sound System is cool. I'll, be, I'll get flagged for that, too, I'm sure. <laughs> Five is the Buzzcocks, um, which is, again, progenitor band. Kind of cool, though. The, the Buzzcocks had groove in yeah. a way that a lot of bands did not. Like, they would... Take a walk on the bass. That, that's do you mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Like I don't really feel like a lot of bands who do that. Like especially in like this like, where it's kind of either hard or fast or like nothing. They, the Buzzcocks are a mentality punk band. Gotcha. You wouldn't listen to the Buzzcocks song necessarily. Oh, this is like heavy punk, but it's it's all like weird perspective. Their songs are all odd. They're all kind of. Hard to, they poured a Pearl Jam, so put it that way. Gotcha. Uh, number four is the Descendants. We sort of talked a little yes. bit. Yes. So I got from the I got more into Descendants from their like most recent record. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went in and like have slowly gone backwards. But I've been a, I'm a newer Descendants fan. But I love the stuff I've heard. It's been really cool to kind of like jump in in that lore and and kind of oh caught okay. but like kind of like learn more about them. I really dig that. They're uh, they've come around to me again a lot as I get older. Really short. I love the song Talking. Really smart lyrics. Um, the guy who is the lead singer, Milo there, uh, Milo Ackerman, really smart guy. Um, That's where we talk about, like, where it's, like, basically being, like, into pop punk but also being a nerd. It's, like, it's like he's, like, the, the quintessential example of just kind of, like, both. Number three on this list is Jawbreaker, who, much like the Descendants, you're talking, like, late, 80, like late 80s, early 90s stuff. The only thing I know about Jawbreaker is that one of the lead singer... This guy, Brett uh, Schwarzenbach, was a professor at Hunter College where I went to high school. Where I went to college, I'm sorry. So I remember like looking through the list of notable alumni. I'm like, hey, (laughs) it's the guy from Jawbreaker. No shit. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. Exactly. And we're at the last two here. Here we go. uh, Let me just pause this real quick. And we have arrived at the final two bands. These are we've sort of teased around these last two. Yeah. Uh, number two is Blink One Eighty Two. I feel like we've talked about like Blink One Eighty Two a lot, especially throughout like the two hours we've been here. The two hours we've been, but, here. but the one hour you'll hear. Um, the uh, like it's I yeah. more than almost any other band. I'm shocked by the longevity. Oh yeah. I'm shocked by how many people claim to look at them as like. Uh, whether it's iconic or like being a t- in touchstone band for them, even for a band that I loved so much, yeah, I'm surprised that it's still recognizable. Like everyone basically kind of like kisses the ring for Blink, and like they almost like there's been multiple times where like Blink almost like shattered. Oh, many times. They're, well, Tom's they, gone. He's yeah discovering real aliens. Turns out, yeah. I mean, <laughs> turns t- Tom. Turns Tom out. was right apparently. Yeah, it turns out all the angels and airwaves stuff was a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Like, he's, like, what? it's weird, because, like, the whole controversy was, like, him, like, leaving to work on that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess he's vindicated. I mean, Mark doesn't probably get enough credit. Like, yeah. Mark Pappas has touched a lot of other punk bands that we talked about on this show Motion already. City. Yeah, like, Motion City. Phoenix TX. Uh, All Time Low. All Time Low. He was in Plus 44. He's yeah. in, he was in Boxcar Racer, which is another Blink-182 side project yeah. that I really liked. I... I think Travis goes a long way too. We haven't talked about Travis Barker at all. Oh, maybe the best drummer of my generation. <laughs> like, that, that man, I don't know. That man works everywhere. Like he's doing everything. Amazing. Like he's always doing like a ton of things. It's like working with rappers, working with rock bands. He's like, you can't like. I don't. There's literally I can't find like a a better drummer than no. you can't. Amazing. And yeah. I, I I just I wonder 
I know that the legacy will always sort of be dick jokes and like all the small things, the nude video, but I think we're getting to a point where a lot of bands that are big now look back and it's like, yeah, this was influential. I remember this. Oh, this yeah. This is important. Yeah, it's down. And like, I don't know how I feel about their most recent record, but nah, it's like, I yeah. I, I gotta be honest, I don't like anything that doesn't have Tom on it. And I, I don't love Tom as a personality. Yeah. But those two guys with their voices, like, something blended. about it, it just, it's what I like. I like half of, I like, I'm, I'm pretty okay on California, but I don't know about all of it. I do like the song Dogs Eating Dogs, which is yeah. the last, like, one that I can think of. Um, and let's go to number one, which we've sort of teased around. It's probably obvious. Yeah. And that would be uh, Green Day. What, what can you really say about like like what can you say about Green Day that hasn't been said really? I know it's like a really cop out thing, but it's like quintessential. It's it? important for. I mean, I learned how to play guitar. Yeah. Because these songs are three to four chord riffs with four. Like this was the stuff that you could pick up and play along to. You felt like it was meant for you. I mean, yeah. Green Day. They've become sort of a caricature of themselves. They had a Broadway play. Yeah. They had all these concept Th- albums. That's like the jumping the shark thing. Like, the fact that they were able to do a Broadway play and still keep going. They're probably the only one of these bands, though, that, that could sell out arenas. They can go to, like... They're about to sell out. That's what I'm saying. Like, they yeah. can go to Levi Stadium in San Francisco and sell, like, 70,000 people. Oh, no. and, and Easy. In a second. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I've said many years on this show, American Idiot came out. It's a really cool album. I thought it was amazing. It kind of jumped the shark for me. I was like, I, that's the end of Green Day. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you know what's going on now, but they're dropping their like, latest record. Mm-hmm. They're dropping a new record soon called like Father of All Motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. It's their last record under their current record, their current management. Sure. Yeah. There is a rumor that this is a giant fucky record to their management. Oh, really? Because it's all very, very short songs. Interesting. And. The album hits the exact time limit required mm. to be considered an album. Didn't they release like three albums at the same time? Yes. So, it was so it they're just trying to get out of it. It counted as one. Oh, did it? I think it counted as one. Oh. But, so it's like the last one. They have the least marketable name ever, Father of All Motherfuckers. Yeah. But they have to call it Father of All and everything else. Yeah. It's, it was the first single that came out for the album. Huh. So it's like rumors that like they're they're getting ready to drop, like leave their contract and they have another album like in the back burner. But like they're trying to do like short, like punkier songs and kind of like hit that vein. Yeah. I mean, I think that you get to a certain point in time and you're kind of diminishing returns. Like, I, I think Green Day will... They're, they've written what they've, they're going to write. I mean, I, I mean like, like, they have two hours in their set where it's like, they, like fans like expect like two hours of Green Day and like it's like nothing else, nothing more. Like you've got to like... A lot of the old Green Day stuff still hits. Like mm-hmm. if you go listen to Doogie, it's still a, the like one of the quintessential 90s albums. Yeah. It's super important. I, I think it's fair that they're number one. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I want to touch on that a little bit. How do you feel about like the Hell and Megatours happening? Which, like, it's Green Day, Fall Boy, and Weezer. Like I feel like it's all three of these bands have complicated legacies. Yeah. Uh, Here's the thing. I if I want to go see Weezer, right? Weezer came around a couple years ago doing just the Blue Album and just Pinkerton. That was their whole thing. We're gonna tour these two albums. Yeah. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if those three bands is enough to sell me on going back for a hard nostalgia trip more than maybe. I don't know. It has to be how close they would come around. Well, I mean, every like Weezer's dropping a new record and. And Green Day's dropping a new record. Fall Boy's the odd man out where it's like we're they're releasing a greatest hits album. I mean, Pete Wentz likes money. Yeah. <laughs> Pete Wentz likes cash. If, if he's a businessman. Like, <laughs> anything else. I mean, of those three bands, I guess 
Fawble is the one that I would be most intrigued to see today. Like, yeah. of the... Like, Weezer, I feel like it's hard for me to look... At. Yeah, from fan reception, like, people are, like, green... Like, everyone's, like, it's his Green Days tour, and Fall Boy and Weezer are along for the ride. Like, there's a lot of Green Day fans who are very much kind of, like... I bet you Green Day is still a good professional performance. Like, I bet yeah. you they, like, they hit all their yeah. stuff, but... As, as, you know. Yeah, like it's weird. Like the Weezer fans and the Green Day fans are both like dragging on the Fall Boy fans. Like, like <laughs> well, not the fans, but like they're like they're both like I don't know if I see Fall Boy. But I think it's like interesting with like how much legacy there is, especially with their and they're all under the same management. So it's like that's another thing. It's like literally, it's like when you have a management where you're like, oh, I have Fall Boy, Weezer, and Green Day. Put them on tour. Done. <laughs> well, you want to thank you for spending two hours here doing yeah. this recording, talking <laughs> yeah. about punk rock. I know that. Um, this all started because we got to get a lot of feedback from people on Twitter talking about surprised by how much this stuff resonated with people. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was a great pleasure to have you come in and talk about this. Before I let you go, uh, again, uh, Against the Algorithm Podcast, anywhere podcasts are found, Spotify, mm-hmm. uh, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you're all over the place, you're on yeah. everything, iTunes. Um, is there any albums currently that you are listening to, any movies, albums, books you're listening to, reading to yes. at the moment? So I have a few things I've been really digging, and I'm prepared this time. I love it. I dig it. Um, so there's an album from this guy named Patternist. Mm-hmm. So it's called I Don't Know What I'm Doing Here. Okay. So very indie rock. He, we've had him on the show. We love him. Mm-hmm. He, It's very much kind of indie pop, It's, but it's... He's grown up around, like, the music we're talking about. So it's kind of fitting. Yeah. So it's kind of, like, we talked, like, in the episode, we kind of talked about how people who grew up listening to, like, pop, punk, and emo kind of have switched over to kind of doing indie stuff. Yeah. So it's a really cool record. I feel like he has a short story-esque, like, style to his, like, songwriting. And, yeah. like, kind of just Was he... it Patternist you said with Yeah, Patternist. Oh, huh, interesting. But he, and he has, like, a very, like, a very kind of, like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's a very kind of, a very... I don't want to say regal, but it's a very kind of like <laughs> elegant, yeah, sure. Like like literary like aspect. It feels like like, like I said it earlier. Like, feels like short stories. And it's like one of my favorite records this year, if not my favorite record. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things I've heard. I really dig the new Neon Trees track. Mm-hmm. So Neon Trees is back with a new song called "Used to Like." They're nice. gone for a little bit. It's kind of like quintessential kind of like Neon Trees. Like really scratches that like '80s like <laughs> pop like hit air area, and it, it's perfect. Love that. I'm trying to think of one more. Like one no, I love more. it. I... Perfecto. And then, like I'd say, the last one I would say is kind of something a little bit different that I've been replaying a ton. Has been a song called "Loser" mm-hmm. by a band called Moby Rich. Moby Rich. That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> if, here's how I can bring you over. The music video is on "Funny or Die," mm. and it features Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> That's about right. Jade side, they're all over the place now because they got that yeah. like new. They're doing like a new Kevin Smith thing, so like yeah. they're on wrestling all of a sudden. They're on these music videos, yeah, because well, they're dropping a new movie, I think. Yeah, so yeah, so they're, so they're trying to like do the circuit, but it's like really cool. And I think those are all the things before I keep no. us here for another hour. No, no Malik, I, again, I appreciate you. I know we could have probably done a whole other hour on the nuance of all this, but again, oh, I yeah, appreciate no, your time no. spent here. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Again, folks, uh, support against the algorithm. Just finishing up their second season. Might have one more episode on Tuesday. Not sure again. Yeah, but we'll keep an eye out. We <laughs> yeah, might, keep an eye out. Like, keep an eye out, but um, you never know. I'm excited to see where it goes. Like, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, folks, we'll be back to the show.
check him out on Against the Algorithm podcast. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I had a great time talking. He's here for like three hours. Two hours mm-hmm. of podcasting, hanging then out. hanging out for another hour. Always fun talking to Malik. Uh, so during the course of our punk rock discussion, Kev, I do have history lessons, but we'll get into those in a moment. I'll, okay. I'll hold you off. I wasn't exactly sure how we were going to approach the list when he first showed up. So I did, sure. before he got here, come up with my five most important uh, pop punk bands. Mm. Uh, I didn't check them against the list. Uh, so I'll give them to you real quick. My top five, I had Weezer at number five. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brand New at number four. Mm. No Effects at number three. Mm. Blink-182 at number two. Uh-huh. And Jimmy Eat World at number one. Those are my top five. Okay. Uh, knowing me the way you know me, does it feel... Correct? That's, yeah, it's all very that's good. All. Yeah. Uh, I did find out, come to find out, that Weezer was not on the list at all. They did not consider Weezer to be a pop-punk band. That's correct. Mm. That's correct call. Interesting. Correct call. Weezer's a little bit of a different band. So, for the five spot, I went with Green Day, which, uh, mostly for uh, progenitor purposes. Like, I taught me how to play guitar and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't love all of Green Day's music, but very important. Very important band for me personally. Yeah, I mean, those first yeah. three albums are still those first three albums. Uh, All bands get old and turn like forty-five and weird. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you had to come up with your list, what were some of your, what are your top five if you if you could think of them off the top of your? Head? I mean, if you're talking about bands of the genre, I don't know if I could do a top five off the top of my head. I will mention some bands you didn't already mention because like sure. a lot of those bands on your list are right also, on my list too. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? You're talking about some of the same ones, I would list basically the same top five. Um, I would say Newfound Glory off that list. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I love the band The Movie Life. It's an excellent band for it's me. It's not on the list. Um, no, that which doesn't surprise me. Um, and also, I don't know if they fully count for pop punk, but I have to mention Bayside. I love Bayside. Bayside. Yeah. Bayside's a little bit, um, not necessarily heavier, but <laughs> yeah. like they're not they're not super poppy in any real way. You know what I mean? It's more of like a uh, pulse hardcore kind of thing. The songs are still like fast and like that. Yeah, Hot Water Music kind of falls in that same category. Yes. I was kind of surprised they yeah, were yeah. on the list and then I thought about it a little bit and I said, yeah, I guess that's Similar what Avenue where it's a little bit, it's not like hard rock, but it's a little bit harder than, it doesn't fit on a list with like Blink-22 and Green Day and Sum 41 and stuff like that. Well, one of the things we talked about too is with pop punk it's kind of hard because some of these bands I sort of think of in different genres. Like I thought, I sort of think of like, you know, uh, My Chemical Romance is like goth punk. It's got that gothy aspect. Yeah, but like goth punk's not really a thing. Right, right. You but know? there are still like there's like nerdy sort of punk rock. There's like surfery punk rock. There's like gothy sort of emo y. A lot of what of you're it. talking about is the way they dress, though, too. Like when you listen to just the music in and of itself, there's you know it's all a similar kind yeah. of. That's true. Similar enough to group them in together. Uh, I'm gonna get a lot of flag for my thoughts on my chemical romance. Is what I was told. <laughs> No, only only from the, the youngs, the, the younger people. The youngs love the younger people. You're just a couple years too old for my Chemical Romance <laughs> to really hit properly for you. I think. Uh, all right, I hear you. Let's. The get, kids love them though. It's nuts. The kids are ready. Surprised by the resurgence. Uh, let's get into this week's history lessons. It's just you and me, so uh, you know. Yeah, no Heather. What's up? Shout out to Heather. Uh, she's sick. We feel bad. So for she's her. sick Sorry. every other week. It's that time it's a day zoo. She's up there mixing with all those animals. Animals and kids. She's got all sorts of weird barn diseases. Yeah, she's hanging out with the donkeys and the kiwi. That, the e, was the emu that's out there. I think it's mean. You ever see that thing? It's nasty. It's like a dinosaur. Uh, on this day, 1901, the first Nobel Prizes were awarded, uh, named after, of course, Alfred Bernard Nobel. Bernhard. Bernhard, not Bernhard. Uh-huh. Uh, do you know what he was actually famous for? No. It was interesting. He was actually well known for building explosives and other military equipment. 
Mm. Um, the Peace Prize. <laughs> yeah. In 1863, he invented a way uh, to control the detonation of nitroglycerin, which was a huge deal at the time. Mm-hmm. He invented dynamite. Uh, he also made a... Uh, he invented dynamite, uh, which was much safer than the earlier stuff. He acquired a fortune uh, as humanity put his inventions to use in construction and warfare. Uh, however, so in 1870, 1887, the one of his brothers dies in France. Mr. Nobel. Mr. Nobel, one of his brothers. The French newspapers printed an obituary where they thought that Alfred Nobel was the one who died, not uh, his brother. And in the obituary, they referred to him as the merchant of death. Uh, Nobel himself had pacifist tendencies and in later years apparently developed strong misgivings about the impact of his inventions on the world. Okay, then give back the money. So after <laughs> so after he died... feels so strong, then give back the money. If well, not, settle down. Well, there you go. In 1896, the majority of his, state, of his estate went toward the creation of the prizes to be given annually in the fields of physics, chemistry, medicine, liter- uh, liter- literature, and peace. Oh. So he did take all of his estate They're good for him. So there you go. He Alfred Nobel. Full circle. Comes all the way around. <laughs> they are regarded as the most prestigious awards in the world in their various fields. Um, I want to say that they are actually given out tomorrow. So by the time people hear this, they'll be out on Tuesday morning. So mm. there you go. You can learn about who won this so year. Stay tuned to see if either of us clocked in we, this year. I don't think we got either it. Us. I got to let you know that even like, you know, if you win it, I'll still be happy for you. Thank you. If you win it, I will be happy, but I will be secretly jealous. That's I fair because I will lord it over the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and each Nobel Prize uh, carries a cash prize of nearly $1.4 million. And they also receive a gold medal, as is as is tradition. I'm less happy for you if I don't win <laughs> now that I hear about the cash prize. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, on, eight, on this day, 1928, the clip-on tie was invented. Yikes. A clip-on tie is a, or a bow tie, uh, is worn by attaching the front of the shirt collar by a clip as opposed to tying it yourself. Uh, there are actual reasons. For why you would wear a clip-on tie that's not just, I don't know how to tie a tie. Uh, do you want to know what some of them are? I'm going to need to hear something, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, again, for kids who don't know how to tie a kids. tie. Okay. Uh, people with disabilities. Excellent teaching opportunity. <laughs> people with disabilities. Fair enough. Police officers and security guards often yep. wear them 100%. as precautions against 100%. being strangled. Maybe they don't need ties. Maybe they don't need Maybe ties. Maybe they don't need cops. It's actually, to be fair, they dress like like soldiers now, so... This one's weird. It's true. It's hard to wear a tie. But, like, you know, I mean, as, as a cop, I don't think there's any cops that need to have ties on. I'm not going to feel less safe if the state trooper isn't wearing a tie. Some schools require clip-on ties as part of their uniforms because it keeps kids from loosening them in the hot weather. Oh, man. Let me Which tell you what. I got, some, I got real personal feelings about that. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, and it's also used as a safety precaution in manufacturing settings. Again, machine entanglement. Totally. Things like, so those well, if you're working reason, in a factory around machines, you shouldn't be wearing a tie. Again, why are we wearing ties? I don't mind it. I mean, I wore a tie like to school every day. You know, going to Catholic school, I've worn tons of ties. I've got no problem with a tie. I like it. It looks sharp. I don't mind having to wear a tie whatsoever. But realistically, like, what are we still? What are we doing? What are we yeah. doing with the ties? Do we have to keep them? What Everybody's got to wear a tie to work. Like, if you're some accountant, you're working in an office, you really have to wear a tie. The whole place is going to fall apart if you don't hang a strip of silk cloth from your neck. Well, I think, here's the thing, too. I think you can get away with other stuff if you're a certain type of guy, right? What kind of? No. I, yeah, I would love to hear that, yeah. actually. I see a couple of these dudes well, like come bolo in. ties? No, I see some dudes come in with no dress shirt, no tie, just polo shirt. Like, fancy polo shirt, 
into slacks, right? Should you probably would... be fine too, yeah, for a lot of people. See, I don't think I but can rock that. Even if you want to, yeah, you could. You would just have to do it. Get in better shape. Um, no, not even. I mean, if you're going to wear like one of those tight, like, micro underarm <laughs> yeah. type things, of course. We've all seen those lunatics out in the world, but, and I get it. Um, but no, I'm just like, hang a piece of cloth from your neck because you're at work seems mm. a little outdated to me. It might be time to revisit. Like, and I think we have in a lot of places. Like, you know, yeah. it's kind of going the way of the dinosaur in a bit of ways. I don't wear a tie to work every day. I just wear a button-up dress shirt with a cardigan. I feel like a tie is a lot of extra. I also wear, like, a lanyard with, like, my name tag on it. So it's kind of weird to wear a tie For underneath sure. my lanyard like mm-hmm. a schmuck. So, uh, all right, let's move on. On this day, 1979, smallpox is officially declared eradicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, on December 9th, God, another one of these phone calls. I've gotten so many phone calls from health insurance. Is it the same number? It's the same numbers. Block it. I'm going to block it. Yeah, block just it. block it. Uh, on this day, December 9th, a commission of scientists declared that smallpox had been eradicated. The disease was carried around a 30% chance of death for those who contract it. It is the only infectious disease affecting humans that has officially been eradicated as of today. So there you go. Huh. Uh, there is no record of smallpox uh, like illness in America before European contact, and the fact that Europeans brought pox with them was a major factor in the conquest and near eradication mm-hmm. of many indigenous peoples in North, South, and Central America. Which is completely true whether you want to hear it or not. It's very true. It's a leading cause in the death of 18th century Europe, uh, leading to many experiments in inoculation. Uh, By the mid-70s, smallpox was only present in the Horn of Africa and parts of the Indian subcontinent. Uh, The last naturally occurring cases were diagnosed in Somalia in 1977. It was two years later when it was officially declared eradicated. It is considered one of the major successes in the history of science and medicine. Pretty wild to, like, beat back a disease all the way back into, like, the underground. I've gone back to watch a couple, like, uh, you know, these documentaries about, like, you know, Civil War, earlier times, Revolutionary War, and they show a lot of, like, the doctors in the field in a couple of them, and, like, just, you think about the idea of, like, trying to come up with what you would do, like, oh, let me take some of the infected... You're just guessing. You're just guessing. You're poking and hacking. I've seen (laughs) seen some Civil War documentaries specifically where, like, they're just doing some wild stuff. I watched a great documentary. Um... It was that Peter Jackson World War One documentary. Mm. It was online. It was really good. Where nice. they use he like he restored the World War One footage to like full on high def. Spent all this money. It was amazing to see. It was so immersive <laughs> for World War One. It's called uh, They Will Not Grow Old. Interesting. And check it out okay. if you get an opportunity if you're into war documentaries. Uh, I'm gonna watch a trailer for it. Afterwards. It's harrowing. To be fair, you interested in that 1917 movie? Uh yeah, I like yeah. that. I like yeah, I don't mind. I mean, I I never really run to a war movie, but I never mind watching no, one either. You know what I mean? I like Sam Mendes, who's the director. He's a good. That's director. how I normally yeah. go. Like I want to see Dunkirk because I like Christopher Nolan as a director a lot. Exactly. Or or if it comes up, you know what I mean? Uh, on this day, nineteen eighty three, uh, Al Pacino uh, debuted in his film Scarface, the debut of Scarface on nineteen eighty three. Uh, in the movie, Tony plays uh, Pacino plays Tony Montana. It's Scarface. If it's you don't, Scarface. if you don't know about Scarface, stop listening to the show and go watch Scarface. <laughs> uh, it is one of the many roles, uh, one of the many notable roles in Pacino's career. Uh, he actually first gained notice for his portrayal of a movie uh, of a young drug addict in 1971 in a film called The Panic in Needle Park, mm-hmm. which I've never seen. Uh, his next film was The Godfather, so good come up from one to two. Not a bad, no sophomore <laughs> slump here. Uh, he received an Academy Award nomination for that performance. He would reprise the role in Godfather 2 and Godfather 3, which is somewhat unfairly maligned. It's a pretty good movie. It, yeah. It's not unwatchable. No, no, no. <laughs> it's just tough. It's tough when your first two are those two. You know what I mean? Uh, he is Godfather 3, much like Spider-Man 3. 
Yeah. Somewhat unfairly maligned. Somewhat unfairly. Not all the way unfairly maligned. Uh, He did garner three Academy Award nominations for Best Actor. Uh, He, uh, for Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and Injustice for All, which I remember watching in high school. Mm. Uh, They made us watch that. Uh, That's the movie where he's like, this whole damn court's out of order. Sure. He he actually won his first Academy Award, though, uh, for a blind retired army officer in Scent of a Woman, 1992. Uh, we did just watch The Irishman. Uh, yep. Heather was supposed to watch The Irishman with us, uh, or watch it so we could do a spoiler thing at the end. We're still going to do it, uh, but now Heather's out of that. So sorry, Heather. That's what you get for not being here this week. Mm. Uh, well, I'll say this. Pacino did get a Golden Globe nomination this year, uh, as well as Pac- uh, Pesci I saw today for Irishman. So he seems to be getting award buzz again this year. Yeah. Do you think he'll win another Academy Award? For what? Best Actor? For, for Hoffa, for Sporting Actor. Uh, uh, is he supporting, or is he... I would imagine he's probably... Supporting? Maybe. De Niro's probably the... Yeah, yeah, De Niro's lead. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, maybe. Could be. He was pretty good. He was, he was good. Uh, all right. And then on this day, 19, uh, 2017, the Walt Disney Company buys most of 21st Century Fox for a whopping $52.4 billion. Uh, they bought many of Fox's entertainment assets up including their entertainment, cable entertainment, uh, broadcast satellite divisions, blah, blah, blah. But they did not buy Fox Broadcasting Company, Fox Television Studios, uh, Fox News Channel, Fox Business Network, Fox Sports, or the Big Ten Network. They're all on like a separate Fox Corp. So if you see like Fox News, Disney does not own that. They yeah. play a weird juxtaposition, wouldn't it? <laughs> Disney owned Fox News. Seems like a weird... It's, yeah, it's all so horrible and dystopian. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you want to know a little more dystopian facts, these are a bunch of other things that Disney owns, in case you're curious. ABC, they own 80% of ESPN. Everything. Everything Touchstone Pictures. Marvel. All your food. Lucasfilms. Your children. 50% of AE. 50% of the History Channel. 50% of Lifetime. Pixar. Hollywood Records. 10% of Vice Media. And, of course, Core Publishing, which is something. I don't know what that is. I feel like I do know what that is. I'm going to think about it later. Uh, yeah, Disney owns everything. What a downer. Uh, I do have one very quick bonus history lesson for you. Do you know what this Friday is, Kevin? Uh, this Friday coming up? Yes. Can't call it. It's Friday the 13th. Oh, nice. Yes, one of the spookiest days of the year. Love that. Um, in case you're curious, I did a little bit of research on this of why we think Friday the 13th is uh, an unlucky day. Because of Jason Voorhees. Yes, indeed. Because Everybody knows. <laughs> uh, the number 13... Because those camp counselors couldn't keep it in their pants. And they were doing all those drugs. They were smoking the drugs and they were having sex. This is Voorhees taught him a lesson. Uh, for most of recorded human history, the number 13 was associated with Jesus and his 12 disciples. Uh, specifically, the evening of the Last Supper, they found all 13 of them assembled together with Judas being the 13th guest, thus mm-hmm. being the unlucky guest. This is also very similar to a story uh, in North mythology where Loki is the 13th guest. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting uh, that they're basically the same story. Uh, the actual You'll find a lot of that through history. You will. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Uh, Friday, the day Friday was not considered to be like full of uh, you know misfortune until the Jeffrey Chaucer book The Canterbury Tales referred to them as a day of misfortune. So that's where mm. that goes back to. It actually wasn't until 1907, however, that the two were combined in the Thomas Lawson book Friday the 13th, mm. uh, which was... Lawson was a notorious stock market promoter who was essentially the wolf of Wall Street of his time. Wrote a book about a fictional stockbroker who chose that day to deliberately crash the stock market. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year after that, that started becoming a, a common discussion that Friday the 13th is a sure. unlucky day. Uh-huh. Uh, I would just probably watch a Jason movie. Yes. 
There's no, there's no yes. Jason connection. I was afraid if anyone was waiting for that, it's not there. Um, let's see. Well, I, I don't want to step on too much of this Irishman stuff because I do want to go over it with you, what your thoughts were about it. Um, I did find one piece of Godzilla-related news. You ready for this? I don't. You, don't you probably subscribe to like Godzilla News Daily? You got like a special app on your RSS feed. Uh, this is a very small history lesson, but 24 years ago today. The quote-unquote last Godzilla movie was made. It was called Godzilla vs. Desu Troya, and it was... Since that, there's been one every year. Yes, there's been many Every since year then. since that last but one. at the time, in 95, this was supposed to be the last one. That's your peg for this story. I read an article on the Sci-Fi channel this week uh, that apparently... I, I probably knew this, but never put it out sure. in the world. Godzilla could not exist in real life. Simply because yeah, no he's way. too large. No chance. Uh, blue whales are the largest animals that exist on the planet, and they are about as big as anything could get. Nothing could really sustain itself in terms of, uh, like, you know, getting gas to its blood veins and the heart stuff and all that. When you get to a certain size, it takes so much exertion to, like, move and move your body and move correctly. Well, maybe out of the water. Yeah, but even inside the like the water allows the blue whale to be so big. Right, so right. Even with the assistance of the water, mm. that's still as big as it can get. I see. You know what I'm saying? So there is a limit to how large something could potentially be, right? Uh, to give you just some context, a Tyrannosaurus Rex was about 20 feet tall. Sure. Uh, Godzilla is technically 394 feet tall. Right. So it is too large to exist in real life. So if you're ever curious, no. So if you were losing sleep at night concerned that Godzilla was going to come to your town and... You know, point out the folly of man. You're safe. Uh, let's do one bit from other blogs, and then we'll do some Irishman discussion, okay? Okay. Uh, have you ever collected anything, or do you know anyone who collects anything as a hobby? Um, I mean, I collected, like, basketball cards when I was younger. Yeah, I would say sports like when cards. when I was a kid, stuff like that. Um, but people who are, like, dead serious collectors, yes. Tons of people, yeah. Uh... I don't. I guess books are the closest thing now. So it was wild because when I worked at the brewery, I interacted with all the people who collect the steins and beer memorabilia oh, collectors. Oh, wow, I didn't think about that. And we had events there for the collectors and collectors shows and different vendor fairs. Uh, that was just part of the job thing we do a couple times a year. So I got to meet all those different people who were hardcore collectors. People who when we were doing a new release would come wait in the morning for us to unlock the doors the day it was going to come out and like needed a specific number in the first edition and all that stuff so yeah i've met a bunch of people like that uh i mean i collected i mean i like collecting books like we have sure. a lot of yeah, books yeah, yeah. i guess that's as close as i can think of to something i actively go out of when my i way. think of collectors though i feel i mean i guess that is that is that's definitely collecting right? yeah right but like when you say collector my first thought is With somebody stamps. who's got like display cases and, sure like, keeping stuff like preserving and Looking at you know dates and I just buy books that like look interesting that I think I would like or I think somebody I know would like or because they're a good price or yeah for whatever reason it but is like, a I guess I'm yeah. not sitting here like oh I've got this 1917 copy of Hard Times True. by You're Charles Dickens down first this editions. first edition yeah. grapes yeah. Yeah. passing you know yeah. what I mean I mean if it, I think if it makes you if it gives you something exciting to do is I mean as you get older I think it's probably good to have a hobby if yeah you get, if you're like a retired folks well or and I think it would be different too I think if um. Because being a collector can be really expensive, right? Like, I would watch people spend a lot of money on beer steins. Like, I would love to be a guitar collector, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but, like, guitars yeah. are really expensive for the most part. You know what I mean? Like, I'd love to have, like, 50, like, beautiful guitars. But, you know, you, if you had money, I'd probably collect a lot more stuff, I'd say. That's a great point. Uh, all right. So, 
let's call it for this week's for for the show this week. Uh, before we get to spoiler section, well, much like a concert that you go to, we're gonna say we're done. Then we're gonna come back out and we're come two, right two, back two, out. More songs. So if you have not yet watched uh, the Netflix epic three three hour and twenty minute uh, film, The Irishman, uh, you might want to turn the show off here, and we'll be back next week. We'll see you next week. But if you have, uh, join us right now. Come along with us. Come along with us for a quick ride through Spoiler Town. Spoiler Things is here, and we're talking about The Irishman. Sure. Uh, so I have some, some... We're like capital P professional and play a clip from the trailer right now. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Just the yeah. audio. <laughs> All you guys are terrible. I can't do it. I don't remember any lines. That Pacino out. I'm sorry. Was that uh, Pesci? That was Pacino. My bad. Uh, did you see the movie? I did. <laughs> All right, so let's start with the first question. Um, okay. Your first question for no, me? No, the main first question that I see people asking. Mm. Did you think that this movie was too long. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, I think it's a bad take. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen this take yeah. on both sides, people arguing for and against it. Yeah. It's very long and I'm sure they could have edited it a little bit, but like I didn't find the movie to be overlong when I was watching it whatsoever. No, I didn't it I will say it did feel long. There was one time during the film when I looked down to see how long the movie had left and I was surprised at how much movie was left. I wasn't annoyed. I wasn't mad. I mean, I could definitely... I, said, huh. I have enough spatial awareness to like to realize that, like, yes, I'm here watching this movie for a long time, but the movie never... It never felt like it was dragging. No. No, I think for me, right. I think is the, is the better way for me to put it. Because, mm-hmm. like, of course I was aware that, like, we were sitting there for a long time. Like, I did have to get up and go pee at one point because I was really like, you know, there's, I'm not going to... It's not going to let me out. I got to go. Um, but for, I didn't find it to be, like, overlong or too much or dragging. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any time in the movie... Where I found myself to not be captivated by what was happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. of course, I'm a mark for a lot of that stuff. But yeah, I thought it was really well done. And I think, like, this weird. I understand that, you know, for the most part, our attention spans have kind of been destroyed. Like, by the internet, we don't really have yes. attention span. I mean, think <laughs> yeah. about, like, how much you used to, like, read books, stuff we used to do now. Like, the internet router goes out, people are having panic attacks inside of 12 yes. minutes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. A lot of things have changed. But I think for the most part, you know, when you look at it, like, people are like, oh, it's, you know, almost like three and a half hours. I think everybody has probably binged three episodes of, like, Stranger Things in a row or sat down and watched a huge rip of this show or the other yeah. show. Three hours, three and a half hours is a long time. Like, I talked to some people who are like, oh, you know, I'm married with kids and they, you know, I got to be up at four in the morning every day, whatever. I totally understand that it is very long and I get that. But people saying it's too long and they made a mistake by making it that long, I think are kind of missing the point. And I think that's a bad take. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I think the movie itself... The way the movie sort of plays out, it is this epic, long-term story told over decades of... And the of, immersiveness yeah. is important, I think. Yeah, I think it kind of had to... There, you could sit here and tell me that there's a couple scenes you can cut 20 seconds or 30 seconds Definitely. from, yeah, sure. You know, you, I'm sure you could have carved 30 minutes out of it. Yeah, of but course. I, don't, I didn't feel like it was a dead set. Yeah, I'm fine with it, yeah. Uh, what was your favorite moment from the film? Oh, man. Um, I have one on top of my head if you want a second to think about it. Yeah, give me a second because I've got a couple right. for sure. Uh, again, I, I'm going to say spoiler alert because this is yeah, yeah. No, we're the, no, we're spoiling we're spoiling yeah. the shit out of everything. Dead, dead end of the movie. Uh, at the very last sequence, there's the two FBI uh, government guys who come to talk to uh, Frank Sharon, and he's sitting there in the wheelchair, yeah, yeah. Old, and they're asking him. He's like, "I can't tell you anything more about this. You got to talk to my lawyer." And they say to him, "Like, Mr. Sharon, your lawyer is dead." Uh, Jimmy Hoff is dead. Like all everybody's these, everyone's dead. You're dead. the only one left. You're the only one left. Why don't you just tell us? And he can't do it. And just that, like yeah, yeah, ten yeah. seconds, I was like, 
That was really cool. It was a good payoff. I really um, like that. I thought it was great. I would say for me, there were there's there's a lot of them. There's a lot of spots yeah. I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the first phone call uh, from Jimmy Hoffa to Frank Sheeran. Yes. The first time Pacino shows up in the <laughs> yeah. movie. I really liked uh, Pacino and Tommy from Snatch getting into it in the club. When Tommy from Snatch showed up in the shorts and was being disrespectful, <laughs> whatever his name was, the gangster, yeah, like Tommy yeah. Pro or something. Yeah, he's wearing the Tony Pro. Yeah, yeah. He's wearing the it's shorts. Tommy from the movie Snatch. Um... <laughs> Stephen Graham is his real Yeah, name, he I was yeah. in. I don't. I don't know the guy's yeah. name. He was in Boardwalk too, right? Yeah, he yeah. played uh, Capone in Boardwalk. Same dude. Um, yeah. Great guy. But I would say for me, my favorite scene was when they bring in uh, Robert De Niro's character to meet with Joe Pesci and Harvey Keitel because he was going to blow up that laundromat. Yes. And when they're at, and they don't really know him yet, and they're like, "We're going to check the. We, we might either kill this guy, or we might find out that this guy is legit." And Joe Pesci, I don't think, says a word. He just looks at him, and it's the best line of the film. Like it's just. Pesci was unbelievable. It was so nice to see him out there that the movie, that alone was worth the time. What was your least favorite part of the movie? Um, I would have to, I don't know, I have to think back. It probably. Might, it might jump on another question, and it's something we'll probably end up talking about later on, but we, we're going to talk about the digitally aging. Yeah, I guess it would have to be that. It's not even the facial stuff. We talked it's about the body it after stuff. the movie. Yeah, there are certain things, and, and it was... Jarring, like there's when the sequ- yeah. especially in the sequence where he comes out and stomps on the dude's right. hand, yeah, that felt like a sequence that was supposed to be like intense and brutal, and it, I don't know, I didn't do it, didn't feel as brutal for me be- as it sure. could have, right? As it should have, sure. I, not, you know, I'm not a glutton for violence or anything, but you sure. know I mean that was what the scene was going for. It felt like, yeah, uh, there wasn't anything. But any time that happened, like even that, that was like that's the one that that's the biggest point people keep pointing out, rightfully so, because that's the one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where you're seeing this whole body from like far out. There's no way to really hide it. Um, but that's like such a small short scene. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah, the stuff like that. I notice it, but it's not enough to pull me out and get me mad and be like, oh, I have this movie. You know what I mean? Uh, did you? Oh, this is the, probably the toughest question of the movie. Who's the MVP of the Irishman? Who's the uh, most valuable player? Joe Pesci. Yeah. I mean, Scorsese, because mm-hmm. he's got the stick for the mm-hmm. whole thing. All of them, though. I mean, De Niro be... probably carries a lot more of this movie than anybody else. He mm-hmm. is the... Too much of a workman, though, to be the MVP. He, is, he, doesn't, he, never get, he doesn't get a chance in that script and in that movie to shine at the... The height, the height of like Al Pacino as he gets to go, mm-hmm. or just like the low, quiet depth of Joe Pesci, and like both those ends of the spectrum. Like he's kind of the straight man to let those two guys really like permutate and dazzle. Yeah, this is really a Pacino versus Pesci conversation for me. Mm-hmm. Like, do you like the manic insanity that Pacino brought to Hoffa, just like captivating, or the sort of the really quiet? Surprisingly quiet but nuanced. Quiet but oh, not. I mean, that's, but he's a great actor. So I mean, people good. have forgotten. Like, that's just... The scene when he's another one of my favorite scenes when he's making the salad in the back of the restaurant when Joe Pesci's making the salad, explaining to Sheeran that they're gonna have to kill Pacino. It's the only way it is. Yeah. Well, he's like making oh, hand making the Caesar salad in the back of the anapasta, whatever, good. and he just like pops it up. That's every every did scene he's in was great. Yeah, we did everything we, we could did. for the man. Uh, several publications have questioned that the late. Frank Sheeran's claims that he killed Jimmy Hoffa are false. That's a movie. I mean, in yeah. Glorious Bastards, Eli <laughs> yeah. Roth shot Hitler in the head. So, yeah, we get it. It's a movie. Um, we know you've got X amount of articles you have to publish today, guys. Um, where This is a really hard question. and I guess this is a good way to go out. Um, where would you rank this in your Martin Scorsese filmography? Um... In my own personal, I mean, I would have to think about it for a second, but I could. You could make a case for it being in the top five, probably. Um, with the qualifier, there's probably a lot of his movies I still haven't seen. 
Like there's yeah. the there's the big hallmarks, of course, that like everybody's kind of seen. But like he's also made like, forty movies. You know it's, what I'm saying? It's really hard to put a movie that's just fresh in your mind that you've only seen yes. once in a in a tiered list or anything like that. I will go ahead. And I would say my first initial thought is I didn't like it as much as Goodfellas. Or yeah, good like, like the best movie ever. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> it's it's definite. I wouldn't go that far. I think you could settle in sort of that sort of uh, gangs in New York, um, casino middle territory there, a little bit one tier down from Goodfellas, maybe. Sounds like you're saying some weird stuff about casino. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give what you're saying. Yeah, I I would I want to have to sit down and make my my top five of the movies of his that I've seen. I could see it sneaking in, but I could also see it missing the cut. I feel like if I sat down and really broke it down, like, did I like it more than Departed? I don't know. Up and down? How did I feel about it up against, Ooh. you know? You know what I mean? I mean, I have complex feelings about the Departed, too. Well, it's also, like you said, it's tough because you just saw it. Yeah. I will say, I'll give it the same the same recommendation that I gave when you asked me about the Joker. Um, one of the measures by which I mark how much I enjoyed a movie um, is how much, how quickly after I see it, I'd like to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And this, much like the Joker, even the night that we watched it, like, I was laying in my bed thinking about it when I was falling asleep. I was like, I'd like to watch that movie again. Mm-hmm. Next day, I'm like, I would, yeah. I would like to see it again. It's still itching. If I had the time, I would put it on and watch it in chunks now just to like see it yeah. and digest it again. That's the same thing when I went to see Joker. Like The next day, I was like, I'd want to watch it again now. That's the mark of a good movie where I'm like, I want to dive back in and see it over. Any uh, any people in this movie we haven't talked about who were... We have, like, I, I would say Bobby Carnavale was really good in this movie. Carnavale was good. Um, <laughs> that, good. that Sebastian... What's that guy's name? Montescola? He's the comedian... Oh, played Crazy Joe Gallo. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy, dude Sebastian like Monascoli. I don't know his name or something like that. Head. He's got some name like that, but yeah. he played Crazy Joe Gallo. He okay. was good. Kaitel, I mean, Kaitel was great in his very, him. very limited role, but he was out there doing his thing. Action Bronson, underrated. I don't know where. When Action Bronson shows up, at, the the rapper slash cook with internet TV show on Vice slash cultural maniac Action Bronson shows up, and it's like two and a half hours into the movie, like I know two like th- probably three full hours into the movie, and he's one of the only incongruous ones that almost doesn't even fit because he seems so exactly right now today in the culture <laughs> yeah. that I don't even buy that that was in like two thousand two whenever Frank Sheeran died. It, it was just it was one of those things where I'm just like. Because you've already been on this roller coaster, and you're riding this movie, and you're so in where it's just like, what else? God. What other crazy thing are you gonna throw at me? That's and then I, Bronson shows up playing I'm, ostensibly himself. himself. Yeah, he's you just know like, what I mean? let me he wasn't, tell you what I'm gonna do, De Niro. It I seemed like this. I was watching Fuck That's Delicious on YouTube on Vice. It's <laughs> pretty good. Like it's actually. the same. Give me a Martin Scorsese action Bronson project next. Give me like um, a whole three hour movie. It was something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's that's the end of this week's episode. Ray folks. Romano. Did we say him? Oh, Romano. Yeah, he was Romano really good. did a nice job. All right. Uh, yeah, go watch The Irishman if you haven't watched it already. Definitely. And if you have, why'd you listen to it? If you haven't watched it already, why'd you listen to it? A lot of Sopranos All-Stars on there as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of Sopranos folks. Did you see that that was, uh, what's his name? Silvio Dante? Which one? So when they're in the scene where I think it's they're doing the award for uh, Frank and everybody's there. Yeah. yeah. Which also is a great scene. The, the only scene. scene that Pesci and Pacino have together the whole mm-hmm. movie and it's excellent. That whole... Whole stretch is good, but you know how they're coming in and they've got like the big band plan? Yeah, yeah. He's the band leader. Really? He's in makeup. Yeah, little Steven Van Zant or whatever is in makeup out there little singing Steve? as the band leader. And I had no idea until I read it on the internet and I went back and like watched this just that scene on YouTube or whatever. But yeah, he's out there in a cameo as the main dude. A true enemy has yet 
to reveal himself. Uh, all right, follow Kevin on Twitter at uh, underscore Kevin Sullivan. Follow me at SF Doom. Follow Heather at Heather Wallace for one, or just follow the show at Uticast. Uh, we are on Facebook, SoundCloud, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, taking over the web. Hey, we did everything we could for him. It is what it is. That's what I started saying about Heather when she's not here. It's what it is. We did everything we, did we could everything for the we could for All right. Sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. We will see you next week another episode.